You know, before I, I answer any more questions, there's something I wanted to say. I, I, having received all your letters over the years, and, 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 and I've spoken to many of you, and some of you have traveled, you know, hundreds of miles uh, to be here, I'd just like to say, get a life, will you, people? <laughs> I mean, I mean, for crying out loud, it's it's just a TV show. I mean, look at you. Look at the way you're dressed. You, 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 you've turned an enjoyable little job that I did as a lark for a few years into a colossal waste of time. Welcome to episode 11 of Nerd Stocking. We're here at the Palatial Casa del Gendron. I'm Bill, and with me I have Chad. Because it goes to 11. <laughs> and we have Ross. hey And tonight we're talking about the Star Trek holiday special and why they should have had no, it. No, no, we're not. <laughs> no, we're not. I was thinking maybe, you know... Wasn't it the sequel to the holiday special? <laughs> yeah. Star More Wars, holiday. Star Wars had one. Why not Star Trek? Spock, yeah. I feel a song coming on. I was just thinking maybe Enterprise is on a run to, you know, Planet Kringle. Well, there, is, there is an album. A Christmas There's album? Klingons on the starboard bow, oh, starboard yeah, bow, bow starboard bow. There's Klingons on the starboard bow. Shoot to kill, shoot to kill. Yeah. Well, I, I, heard that? I have the Christmas Star Wars album. Okay. And it's brilliant. Is there a Christmas yeah. Star Trek album? Mm, no. Okay. No. <laughs> All right. So, uh... Actually, what we're talking about is the original Star Trek series, and this month marks 50 years since the premiere of the series on NBC. It first aired on September 8th, 1966, with the episode The Man Trap. Can I make a small correction? Sure. The global premiere of The Man Trap yes. was September 6th on the CTV television network in Canada. Right. So worldwide, globally, Star Trek was seen for the first time. On the CTV National Network here in Canada, September oh. 6th. Two days so Canada ago. saw it first. Canada saw it first. You know, it's funny. I remember I uh, read something where they they actually uh, premiered the episode at a con, some kind of sci-fi that was the, convention. That was the cage. So the, uh, yeah. the first pilot was premiered at a con. Yeah, and I remember um, guys like Isaac Asimov were there. Yeah. and they had Harlan Ellison. Yeah, they had commented that it was really good, a very serious kind of portrayal of space travel their only issue was that of course when you see the externals of the ship going by it goes it's like wow. no sound in space what's going on here i know they're looking for real versillimitude yes but but they weren't, weren't getting it from the series well isaac sure, asimov ended up being a big fan of the show he wrote a letter into a tv guide promoting star trek and and asking for it for to be renewed and harlan ellison ended up writing one of the greatest yeah. episodes of all time so he was uh he, he was one of the guys because I, I remember you know uh, joe trimble did a she did a letter writing campaign but i think asimov and a bunch of science fiction writers and people from nasa didn't they write in and well the first season the, the first time there was a letter writing campaign was mostly uh the the science fiction writers actually harlan ellison who was working on his script for city on the edge of forever took forever to write it. Right. He started the first write-in program, and that was during uh, midway through the first season because NBC didn't commit to a full 26 episodes. Right. They'd only committed to X number, I think it was 16 or something. Yep. And it was getting to the point where we're going to have to go on hiatus. We'll have to put, you know, lay people off if we don't get the pickup from NBC. Right. So he started the first one. The second one was, uh, or in the end of the second year, was uh, B. Joe Trimble or oh, okay. Joe Trimble. Yeah, I'm never quite sure how to pronounce her name, but... But anyway, it ran uh, three seasons, with the last show, Turnabout Intruder, airing on June 3rd, 1969. Yeah. 
the show, of course, has you know lived on via syndication in the seventies, got really popular, and then six movies with the original cast, and the three reboots with those same characters. Well, it's it's so first it. in so many ways. It's first in you know the first show that only had three seasons. Uh, um, but turned into a syndication dream. It's on. It's been on uh, TV every day somewhere in the world right. since the '60s or early '70s. Right. Like it they was, say, like uh, Queen Victoria, she said, uh, "The sun never sets on the Klingon Empire." That's right. I think that's a direct quote. <laughs> direct quote. It was the only that's show that to have a successful sequel on television, so that had never happened before. So Star Trek: The Next Generation was. Uh, you know, precedent setting in that it was a huge success right. from day one. Also, it had those two, you mentioned the cage, and then they actually commissioned a second. Also uh, unprecedented, yeah. where no man has gone before. So NBC saw the first pilot, and they said, yeah, this looks great, but we want something more what you promised, which was wagon train to the stars. We need more action. Right. So they commissioned uh, four scripts, one of, and they picked uh, to film for the second pilot, where no man has gone before. They recast the captain because uh, Jeffrey Hunter didn't want to do it. Right. And um, history was made. Right. I uh, were uh, gathered around uh, the fire pit at Chad's place, so the audio might be a little different. We're sitting outside here under under yeah. the stars. Apparently under surveillance. <laughs> helicopters overhead. Well, I think they're getting ready for the air show. You're right. Oh, great. So we'll get lots of blasts of... Uh, I'm for big, the exhibition, for the scene. I'm CNA. a big fan of the air show. You don't like the air I show? I hate the air show. You know, so a neighbor down the street on Facebook this week... Apropos of nothing. ...complained about the air show. Yeah. And uh, I told her I was getting a helicopter. Good. How sensitive. No, for, for anybody who's emigrated to Canada from a war-torn country, that is the worst possible thing you can do. Yeah. The jets blasting overhead. Yeah. Plus my house shakes. Uh, looking in early in the history of the show... Uh, it's interesting to look at Roddenberry's previous show, The Lieutenant, mm. which was actually his first show running job. That's right. He had, like, I think you had mentioned in a previous episode, he had written a lot of scripts for maybe Wagon Train and Police of Westerns and, and Police yeah, Westerns. Yeah. yeah. It's funny when I was researching and I saw the title, The Lieutenant, I thought it was a police procedural, but it's actually about the Marine Corps. And they filmed on a military base. Uh, they got permission from the from the U.S. military to film, and the base was very. Very real. It was obviously, uh, you know, with all the, the, the buildings around it, 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 they didn't have to build. But they filmed an episode about um, the racial um, uh, difficulties of a character, and I'm sure I'm jumping on your script notes here. That's fine. Um, that the military objected to. They said, do not broadcast this episode. And guess what? They then turned around and said, you cannot um, film here anymore. And NBC or whichever was the network said, yeah, we're not picking this up. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, the actress in that is Nichelle Nichols. Well, she's been in it. She was in it. Gary Lockwood, who was in Where, Where No Man Has Gone Before, right. and uh, Leonard Nimoy. And right. uh, I'm not sure if uh, if um, yeah, we have, DeForest I'm, Kelly was in it. No, or I have uh, Walter Koenig and M- Majel Barrett. Mm. So that's kind of interesting. And it's funny. I was thinking probably the blowback that Roddenberry had from that episode, that racially tinged episode, kind of confirmed for him that his next step should be doing a sci-fi genre show where he can actually deal with those social topics. Right? I think you're absolutely right. Be- yeah. And he was proved right. You put those same uh, issues into a science fiction context, and then what happens? The networks, the censors ignore it. Right. It slips through everything, right. but you show it to an audience, and like, I know exactly what you're talking and, about. And eventually on Star Trek... It's kind of been disputed, I've seen, but uh, it's generally considered the first interracial kiss in a fictional, like a scripted TV show. There yeah. have been some variety shows, I guess, that had had that happen, but... Maybe it was the first, yeah, dramatic, I'm not sure. Right. Um, 
There's a raptor loose in the and backyard. Um, we have Chad's uh, son sitting next to us, too. Minecraft. Right um, playing Skylanders. <laughs> Chad's lining up with the log. It looks good. He's got the throw. He's leaning back, and oh, it uh, connects. It's, I'm the one who's going to have to take him to the hospital if I throw this at That's him. true. That makes hey. sense. Um, get that Bill to do it. Uh, what were we talking about? Oh, the interracial kiss. Yeah. Yeah. So the annoying thing about that is apparently the, the network censors um, who were aware of it from the script uh, were there on set during right. the uh, filming. And the, if you watch it the way it's blocked, it's very, um, it's not as uh, uh, explicit as it could be. Yeah, he actually turns yeah. her head so that you don't really see their lips touch. Even contextually, it's involuntary anyway because those yes. that race of people are making their exactly, do it. Exactly, which is how they got around it, one of the, or one of the ways they got around it. But the other interesting thing that William Shatner did that, that he doesn't get any credit for is uh, the network said, okay, you got to shoot it different ways, and they, they wanted uh, it to be really even less explicit than it was uh, to you know satisfy the Southern viewing audience, Southern um, stations. Right. And uh, in every one of the takes that the network insisted how they wanted it, yep. Shatner blew it on purpose. Oh, so right. that the only take they had was the one that they used, which he and Nichelle Nichols agreed was, was the best. And the director, anyway. Yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah, I was just kind of interested in looking at the lieutenant. But uh, what I wanted to do now is move on to um, really the meat, of the, the, meat of the meat of this episode, and that's... Uh, a listing of Star Trek memories from the uh, original series, so I have them categorized. So, uh, Ross, uh, you had already mentioned uh, City on the Edge of Forever. Yes. And that's my vote for best episode of the original. Do, do you know much about that story? Can, are we allowed sidebars? Go right ahead. Can I sidebar? No, go right ahead. I'm going to sidebar. Go right ahead. All right. I, I live by sidebars. I know you do. This is why I thought you might appreciate this. So, as filmed, that episode bears very little resemblance to Harlan Ellison's script. Right. In fact... He has disavowed that episode, and what he reveled in was the fact that his he submitted his original script and it won a Hugo Award. Right. And at the ceremony, he absolutely rubbed it in the face of Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. Because Gene Roddenberry... They were actually nominated for a Return of the Archons. They were oh, nominated for the same during the same award show. Okay, and, and uh, Harlan Ellison won for his script, which... And he was like, he was like waving it at him. Yeah, he was... Like, as usual, Ellison dick. Yeah, he's a bit of a dick. <laughs> He's a short dick. Um, but he, 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 he resented the rewrites, which he blamed on Roddenberry, and actually it was D.C. Fontana who did quite a lot of the rewrites. But in yeah. his script, he had, he had people, uh, you know, drug dealers yeah. on the Enterprise. Yeah, and they were going to execute him on the planet. Yeah, that, you, you know, that's not Star Trek. So yeah. I, and I, I completely I was, I was understand why they rewrote think, it the way they did. I think Roddenberry actually said at one time that the script had Scotty dealing drugs or something like that. Yes, it was he Scotty dealing, that. yeah. Which is you know, a little outrageous. Well, the thing is, I've read that that uh, Ellison wrote, like you said, it took a long time to produce it. Yeah. Well, he 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 so, spent all season. He was on yeah. the set, yeah, uh, or not on the and set. It's a but first, he was in the studio. It's all a first year long. It's a first season episode, right? It is. So when he started, he didn't. The, the Bibles hadn't been written. There was no character Bibles for it. So he might have just been like, maybe Scotty is a sketchy <laughs> Scotsman. <laughs> We all know Scotsmen <laughs> love to deal in cocaine. Um, well, he was there. He was there. He apparently he 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 was typewriting in an office, and he was being, you know, harassed by Bob Justman and, yeah. and Gene Roddenberry to to finish yeah. his script. And it was one of the last filmed episodes right. of the year because he took so freaking long. Yeah. The thing is, I don't understand why Harlan Ellison gets so pissy about it because 
you know, you can write a script. It's like Roddenberry said when Ellison won the award. He said, I'm sure a lot of people would get awards for writing and television if they had no consideration for the budget. Exactly. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I don't understand. I mean, apparently this is all in line with Harlan Ellison's personality. Right. The reality is, is that a, uh, a script for a new show, and this was the first season. Yeah. And Roddenberry and, and the people running the show are trying to set the pattern and the 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 environment, the universe that, that this show is gonna live in. Right. You can't have, you know, things like Scotty being a drug dealer and things are going to be rewritten. The re- what what really irks me is that the show is brilliant. Yeah. I mean, as it turns out. It is so sad when, you know, Kirk at the end, it's spoiler alert, yeah. has to make a choice. Spoiler alert of this fifty year old episode. Yeah. The, the choice he makes uh, is is the future, is the timeline yeah. over his the love of his life. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's and you know when when McCoy looks at him, and says, "Jim, what have you done?" And Spock says to McCoy, "He says, do he you knows, know?" Yeah. Uh, yeah, McCoy says something like, "Do you know what you what you've done?" And he goes. He knows, Doctor. He knows. He knows. That's a great line. It is. And then when they, when the, you know, the next scene is they jump back through the yeah. the Guardian, back to their timeline, where now everything is restored to how it should be. Right. And, you know, Kirk looks incredibly, he's broken, but, yeah. you know, he's uh, he says, yeah. beam me up. And well, you know, looks, actually, what's interesting is he says, after all that, he's gone through this, this terrible ordeal, this terrible tragedy, and he says, finally, let's get the hell out of here. Yeah. And that was... Uh, one of the first instances of hell being used as a profanity on network television. I'm, I'm, uh, is this a two person show? Yeah, well, Chad has gotten up. Chad is actually, Chad, I don't know. He's, you don't think he's that like much. He's, I think he's making a ham sandwich. He's not as much on as rye. a Star Trek fan cheese. as we are. Yeah. But, uh, there was an inter- there's a lot of interesting things in that episode. First of all, Harlan Ellison is right on one point. As the scene, as it's done, as it's filmed, the script that they, that they did, they did rewrites, and then as it's filmed, you know, McCoy is, uh, they're on the ship and they're being jostled by these yeah. uh, time distortions, right? Yeah, as they approach yeah. the, uh, the planet. And Mc- and, Scott- and Sulu is uh, injured. This console explodes because I guess they have no fuses on the Enterprise. So Apparently stuff not. just no, spits yeah. fire and sparks like crazy. Yeah. And uh, Chad's just sitting down here. Welcome back, Chad. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so Sulu gets injured and they call McCoy and he comes over and he's going to try, he needs to, something wrong with Sulu's heart or something. He goes, a better chance, a little cordrazine. He's yeah. got this very dangerous drug. And there's a nice byplay. I like this because it's at the beginning of the episode and there's a little bit of byplay with Kirk where he goes, oh, that's tricky stuff. You sure you want it? And McCoy just doesn't even listen. He just injects Sulu and Sulu, it's kind of ham-fisted by Takai. He's like, hey, he's smiling and happy. He sits up. Oh, it's not ham-fisted. And, 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 and then, hang on, I'm talking. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Special guest star Chad, yes? And then, uh, and then McCoy looks at him and says, oh, you had a medical opinion, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> I like that byplay. It, it it establishes the friendship between the two, Absolutely. which were through the episode. You'll understand why Kirk is, you know, well, he chases after his friend, he's, he's, jumps he's through time to yeah. try to help him. So sorry, Chad, you had something to say. So there was bi- finally there was byplay. You might want to clear your throat. <clears throat> there was byplay, and he injected him, and then there was what? It's always always goes <laughs> Watch back. Watch the episode. Always goes back to you. Um, it's Sulu. The gutter. Yeah. He, so so Sulu's been injured, and the only drug that can save him is a very dangerous drug. In a wrong dosage, it can drive you mad. So he injects Sulu. Sulu, like like Bill says, he just immediately smiles. He just sits. He's up. like, "Hey, what happened, guys? <laughs> Ooh, oh, I, cool, saw, I saw that episode. Yeah." Okay. And then they they jost- McCoy is like staring at the the hypospray needle, yep. going, "Boy, this is dangerous. I probably shouldn't be holding it up near me." And then the ship <laughs> jostles again, and he goes. Tsk! 
Yeah. And then he, and then the next thing it's a great shot. His head bops up and he's like sweat. And he's like and he's, Killers! Murderers! And he he's just gonna he sprints out. off the bridge. The f- and- that's what I was gonna say though. That's why that's one point Ellison has is McCoy is so ham fisted that he, you know, he's the uh he's the chief medical officer of the Enterprise, but he somehow manages to inject himself with a whole vial of cordrazine. It's like Kind of a you know ham-fisted move for a doctor to make. Well, so. I don't know. I, I I love the interplay of the characters, even when uh, they go back in time, and uh, you know Kirk asks Spock to build some kind of um, device to keep track of what's happening with the timeline, right. and you know uh, Spock says something about he'll do his best. You know, given that he's using, he's using stone knives and, and bearskins. bearskins. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There's an interesting uh, bit of dialogue too, like. McCoy has gone down to this planet where there's a time portal called the Guardian of Forever, and uh, they're chasing McCoy, and McCoy ends up jumping through this uh, portal as it's showing the history of Earth. Yes. When, once McCoy goes through, they lose contact with the Enterprise, and they realize the Enterprise is gone, the Federation is gone, all of time has changed because yep. McCoy has gone back in time and screwed things up. Yeah. And just that idea, it's very spooky to me, that, that moment where they're like... But in that moment... And this is what I love about the first season and the second season of Star Trek. Yeah. In that moment, none of the crew panics. Mm. Uh, that's getting to my next point. So that it's very spooky. Like all of a sudden, they're lo- they're marooned in time. There's yeah. literally nothing. Yeah. There's nothing for them. So they decide Kirk and Spock are going to jump through the portal and try to catch McCoy. And this the speech that I really like is Kirk gives it to Scotty. He says, "There's a group of them. There's Scotty, Hur, and a couple yeah. of red shirts." And uh, he says, Scotty, uh, if we're not successful, just give it once enough time you think has passed, each one of you has to jump through and try to solve this. And at least you'll be alive in some other time somewhere. Right. It's just such a great, it's part of the great writing of the episode where it Terrific really makes writing. the stakes so high. You understand yeah. completely, right? Yeah. It's a spooky, weird thing that they're going to have to try to deal with. And yet Kirk is completely in command, but in a calm way, yeah. not in a shouty, you're going to do this because I'm telling yeah, you to way. And Scotty says, understood. I like it too that. You kind of when I was watching the episode, McCoy goes through first, and then Kirk and Spock follow him, and it's like, how are they going to know what time? How are they going to end up? In the, why would they end up in the same time as McCoy? But they make a, a neat little statement where it's they consider that time is probably like a river, and the currents and eddies of time will lead you. It's like when you jump in a river, you'll end up in the same place because the current will take you there. So it's a kind of a neat explanation. It's not a perfectly plausible airtight explanation but, it's but at least it's something where you think yeah maybe they'll end up at the same around the same time because time is like a river yeah without the techno bobble of, of, of further of or TNG. Future, yeah. future shows <laughs> like but TNG. Spock has the tricorder and he's been he's been recording it yeah. and then you know at the right moment he says now and they jump right. through so he's there is some other way for him to say this is the point we need to go yeah. and they only miss it I think McCoy arrived by a week. Yeah, yeah, missed by a week. It's a week. The other thing I want to say about that episode is uh, Joan Collins is hot, hot, hot. (laughs) Wouldn't you say, Chad? Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) She really is good looking in that. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. She she does a good job with Edith Keeler, too, because the whole point of the episode is that uh, Edith Keeler is this, uh, she's running a mission, and she gives a speech that sells the whole concept brilliantly where she's standing on the stage and the guys are like, Oh boy, here she goes. She's going to start talking. Man. And she's like, you know, don't give up hope because in the future things are going to be amazing. We're going to get rid of war. We're going to go out to the stars. We're going to explore everything. Like she's very passionate and she gives a very, and it's especially telling 
to uh, Kirk and Spock because they are guys. <laughs> like, the hey. job is going out in the space. Woo! You know, yeah. you're absolutely right. Yeah. So the idea is that she is so persuasive that if she is prevented from dying, which is the crux of the episode, she starts a peace movement that actually delays the U.S. entrance into World War II and allows the Germans to develop the atomic bomb this, first and win the war. But this is the irony and, and the, the brilliant writing of the episode is she envisions the future that Kirk and Spock actually live in. Right. And yet in order for that to happen, she has to die. Yeah. They should have called the episode Edith Keeler Must Die. Yeah, that's a great line from Spock. Yeah. Kind of, it's funny to me, Spock looks kind of perturbed and jealous when uh, Kirk is... Uh, Putting the moves on Edith Keeler. He's well, he really annoyed. He's probably annoyed at the distraction from their mission. Oh, maybe. But, you know. You don't think it's some... He's like, again? Really? Yeah. Chad, you're not your usual mouthy, just blathering self. What's going it's on It's because I there? swear so much, and I have my nine-year-old daughter, Kate, here. Hi, Kate. <laughs> she says hello in sign language. That's right. <laughs> there you go. The younger audience. There's the voice yeah. in the Go background. Go for the younger demographic. Nobody under 40 is going to listen to us, Kate, I'm afraid. <laughs> Definitely. Anyway. Go ahead, Chad. You had something I believe to... I have a number of 36-year-olds who watch. <laughs> okay. Watch, watch our podcast. Maybe. It's only audio, but they still watch. <laughs> they I think envision. My, they my envision. favorite episode is What Little Girls Are Made Of. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, another first season episode. This was, I think, the sixth episode. Okay. I don't know if it was the six, but it was early. I think it was the first one to introduce uh, Nurse Chapel. Ah, interesting. It was episode and seven. She she, yeah. f- she featured prominently in that episode. She did. Yeah. She's going to see her fiance. Yeah. It uh, it was actually the first episode to air twice. Oh. It aired uh, once, and then two months later, just before Christmas, it aired again because uh, Sherry Jackson was in it. And I think it was just well, it it reached a level of hotness that has never ever been reached. Uh, yeah. It's never yeah, with the usual that. plunging. Like the uh, the outfit just has a couple of things that just come up and kind of cover the so, breasts. So, Incidentally, uh, the wardrobe uh, costume designer of Star Trek is a guy named Bill Thies. Okay, who I think is universally regarded as creating the best costumes, mainly for women of any show of all time. Like his, nobody knew how they actually held together. Gravity and 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 proprietariness should have failed him. It's space but magic. It didn't. Space it, yeah, magic. it must be because that uh, Sherry Jackson in that costume is just yeah, almost she is. unbelievable. Again, hot, hot heat. That was written by um, Robert Bloch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrote Psycho. Yeah, yeah. He's a writer of an episode I've got here on my list that I'm going to talk about. And he also did Cat's Paw, which isn't the one I'm yeah going to talk about because it's a terrible, terrible episode. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah. But I love it. I love I love a lot of those shots. There's one where he uh Kirk tears down a, a stalactite. Yeah. And he's holding it. It actually like bends, a... it doesn't crack. It just <laughs> bends it off. Right. And what does that stalactite look like? It looks like something a uh, stalactite shouldn't look like. Right. <laughs> it looks like a giant penis. Yeah. If you've ever seen a still from that, it's like, oh my god. Yeah. That's right. That's not this right. Has been Photoshop. No, 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 it hasn't no, been it Photoshop. <laughs> it's uh Ted Cassidy as Zur, I think his name is something like that. The it's old one. Android. The old one. It's Lurch. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's up. It's that uh, that stalactite is it's up there with the Little Mermaid poster. Art yes, in the yeah. original oh, one. Right. Yeah. 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 In the back, the uh, one of the towers. Yeah. No, I think there's about four of them that are. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's such a good episode, and it and is. so well done, so well acted, yeah. and uh, the way that uh, Kirk tricks them into uh, right. uh, being exposed to Spock is uh, is absolutely brilliant. So, Chad. Um, Quick plot synopsis. 
Oh, I don't remember the plot. <laughs> I, know, I remember that Kirk goes down, meets this hot girl. There's a scary lurch like yep. android. Yeah, left over from the old ones. And, you know, they just kiss a lot. And he doesn't kiss lurch. It's the third time he's ever bare chested. Right. And which he was a bit uh, nervous about. For mm. this, it's the seventh episode of season one, and it is the first time that uh, DeForest Kelly, James Doohan, and George Takei did not appear. Wow. Well, they were only they were only meant uh, on contract for a few episodes. They were not meant to be uh, at that point in the season um, full time regulars. Really? Yeah. Really? Wow. They were only contracted for you know a handful of episodes, not for the full season. So they unlike uh, uh, season two and season three. Uh, so in this episode, um, the Enterprise comes to the planet so that uh, Nurse Chapel and the Enterprise can check in on this famous. Uh, scientist who also happens to be Nurse Chapel's Corey or something like that. Cor- Corbin, Corby, uh, Corby, Doctor Corby. Yeah, Doctor Corby. And uh, Doctor Corby, Doctor Corby. In the process, they find out that uh, he's discovered this uh, fantastic civilization that lived on this planet, the old ones, uh, and a way to uh, replicate humans in android form. It's so funny you keep saying the old ones because I, I mentioned this in my episode two that Robert Block uh, wrote. But Robert Block was a real, he was a mentor to H.P. Lovecraft. Do you guys know that? I did not know that. So He was a mentor, no, H.P. Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft was, was a men- mentor to him. Yeah. And uh, you can see that because, you, like you say, the old ones, or the one I'm talk- going to talk about, it's the same kind of thing. It's, it's an ancient evil that feeds on fear and, you know, spreads amongst the stars. It's, uh, you know, it's very... Uh, very Lovecraftian. Well, in this case, very much a disciple of that. Well, only because he's been left alone. So in in this case, the old ones were actually quite an advanced civilization that retreated underground. uh, And when they died off, they left this rock guy who over a millennia, um, you know, sort of lost his way until this Dr. Corby came along. So they, uh, they, they decide that they're going to take over the enterprise and they, uh, they replicate Kirk. And while he's being replicated in this brilliant scene where it's spinning around and you see this lump of um, yeah. a putt. It looks like silly putty. Yep. Uh, and while it, and it's great special effects. As it's spinning around, it forms into Kirk. Uh, he keeps saying over and over, you green-blooded, half-breed right. uh, Vulcan idiot or something. And uh, hoping that, that that pattern will imprint on his android. In fact, it does. Right. And when they send up this android to the Enterprise, and uh, through some conversation, uh, he gets annoyed with Spock, and he says it to Spock. Then Spock knows, hmm, something is amiss. Right. And um, you're on that turntable, like you're talking about, it just seems to me to be untenable that anybody could survive that because the thing's going about 500 miles per hour. I know. It's like, <laughs> it's like a. I would not be happy. It's just spinning. That scene. Yeah. And they just crank the camera and a thing just goes. Little known fact, although it was not required, but William Shatner decided to go completely commando in that scene. Wow. Not wearing a single bit of clothing. Is that true? No. <laughs> But it were, could be true. You were saying could be. You were commando watching it though. <laughs> what I another ca- the next category I had that I wanted to talk about was creepiest moment in the series, and for me it occurs in uh, Charlie X. Oh yeah, where they have a kid who uh, they they get from another ship, and uh, he gets on the Enterprise, and he turns out to be kind of omnipotent. He can make anything happen with his mind. He and was uh, cr- is he and his family crash landed on a planet. His yeah. parents died. And the beings on that planet granted him these powers in order right. for him to survive, but then they wanted to uh, reintroduce him to you know his own kind, with disastrous results. Right. And the uh, scene in particular I'm talking about is uh, he's going through the Enterprise, 
and uh, there's there's a group of people laughing. You can't even see them. They're just a shadow on the wall. They're like around the corner, and you see their shadow, and they're all laughing and having fun. And he goes, "No laughing." And then as he walks away, a girl comes out. She's struggling. She's like, <laughs> and then you see her, and she's got no face. He's taking the. Uh, He's taking the face away of this girl. Yeah, so. he has incredible powers, and he just does that scrunched-up look, yeah. and it happens. And uh, that was when uh, Yeoman Rand was still... Um, she was only in the first half of the first season, and she was in right. that episode, and he you know, developed a, sort of a crush yeah. on her. But it is the first episode with William Shatner without his shirt on when he's doing... He's exercising, and he shows Charlie, you know... He's doing karate moves or judo. Judo. judo he's doing judo. Yeah. So it, yeah. it sort of... Um, um, it showed William Shatner's very athletic capabilities, at the same time, he was quite nervous about doing that scene. That's so funny. You mentioned that before. And to me, it's like a f- early, very early. It's four or five, Charlie X, like production. Some, somewhere production around episode. there, yeah. So Shatner is never going to be in better shape. It's true. <laughs> but nonetheless, I think you, you feel a little bit, um, you know, self-conscious with when, once, you know, you're... I would late. think that would be a prerequisite of an actor where you just got to be required to drop trow at a moment's notice and like have no, in a, <laughs> drop, yeah, no drop, inhibitions. Drop right? trow. That's an uh, actor. Maxford, uh, what my son, whenever uh, he imitates Kirk, is he he tears his shirt off because in in his <laughs> mind, in every single episode, Kirk is you know shirtless or ends up shirtless. Yeah, or, or he's got those shirt. He's got the strategic tears yeah, right across. That's from a muck time. Yeah, yeah. when he gets the, uh, he the, gets the sliced. Slit. Yeah, yeah. So uh, in his mind, you know, it happens. It happens in every episode. So he's right. always he's always tearing his shirt off and going, "Con." Right. Another interesting thing about uh, Charlie X is. Uh, I noticed when I was watching it, uh, Charlie Evans, the kid, he's always practicing his smiling to try to appear. He's never smiled before. Yeah, to fit in. Yeah. Like a door will open and he's standing there and he's like practicing smiles and he like hides it because yeah. the door is open. It's like an interesting little interesting little character trait that they add into it. He's just trying to fit in because he's and actually a, omnipotent. It ends on a very bittersweet note because ultimately he can't live amongst humans with yeah. his powers. And his the 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 aliens that had granted him these powers show up, and they say we made a mistake. We've got to take him back. And he's like, No, I want to stay with these people. But if he does, he would end yeah. up killing them. It's all. pretty terrifying because uh, he's the, the Charlie X at the end. He's pleading like they can't feel anything. I can't even touch them. Yeah, it's like a, a torturous existence. Yeah, it's it's very sad. And then he disappears. Like I say, but very well, not really even bittersweet. It's just basically sad. Yeah, my uh, sorry. Did you did you have a a creepy, a, sidebar? a creepy moment that you can. A pick creepy out? moment. I think my creepiest moment was, uh, um, uh, and the children shall lead, oh, which is possibly right. the worst, the worst uh, Star Trek episode of all time. Even more so, people say Spock's brain. Is that the one where all the kids are on the planet? Uh huh. You think that's the worst episode? Oh God, yes. I like that episode. Well, so with you might Melv- be f- with Melvin sorry, you Bailey. might be thinking of something else because there's also an episode called Miri. Yeah, no, no, Miri's what's a the great one with episode? all like the the the. The kids are very is much like in Logan's call? Run, where they well, that's what they call the Grups. Yeah, the, no, that's uh, Miri. That's the first season, yeah. oh, and actually, that had William Shatner and Gene Roddenberry's yeah, daughter. daughter yeah. It's a great. It's a that's actually a good episode. No, this is a third the girl season. that starred in that episode is one of the kids. It, she's uh, in like all, Kim Kim something. She's in like all kinds. She was like teenagers and Starsky yeah, and Hutch episodes. Exactly. And all that, yeah. yeah. No, I know who you mean. Right. Um, no, this is a third season episode produced by Fred Freiberger, who is the bastard, the yeah. worst, the touch of death. You know, for science fiction series. I'm not sure series. he deserved that, but nonetheless, he oversaw. Uh, the third season. He did which, the same thing to Space 1999. He did. Um, and, you know, he's, he's basically an exile. He's a murderer of creativity. Or he lived in exile until he died. Uh, in this episode, they have these kids that all their parents have died, 
and uh, chant. They become disciples of this. Yeah, what's the song they chant? Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> it's been, absolutely horrible. Yeah. And the, the actor like that plays line. the Gorgon or... or the guy. The guy is, is a, a famous lawyer called Melvin Bailey. He's a lawyer. He's a lawyer. <laughs> He's not an actor, and it shows. Yeah. And it was stunt casting, you yeah. know, before stunt casting became a thing. Yeah. Why is to, casting a lawyer stunt casting? Because he was famous. He was a famous a lawyer. famous lawyer. So you could, they were hoping that it would show up in TV Guide. Famous lawyer Melvin Bailey appears in the <laughs> next episode of Star Trek called And the Children Shall Eat. And it desperate. is possibly the creepiest, horrible episode because the kids are out of control. Yeah. And this guy who who wants them to kill people, and they do this thing where they where they scrunch up their faces. Oh and yeah, go, they start pumping their fists. They pump their fists. They pump their fists, yeah. and um, people yeah. die. You're right. I'm remembering that guy is just a ter- he gives terrible delivery. Oh, he's awful. He's absolutely awful. He's just reading a script right now. And front of and him. nobody could understand why Fred Freiberger uh, pushed for for him to appear in this episode because maybe was, it's his lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> could have been. Uh, he's he's just so awful. So that's my creepy moment. Right. My runner-up for a creepiest moment is uh, Clint Howard as Baylock in the Cobra. Oh, no, he was awesome! What's oh wrong my with that? god, that's the, one of the He's best freak- episodes. That's a good episode, but he is freakish looking. Like, well, you know, was he in Gentle Ben? They always talk about, uh, well, I, you know, they always think, well, they're they're never really aliens. They don't really look alien. All the aliens that come across are just a little nose piece that's glued on, or you know, the forehead r- ridges. That was the next generation. But Clint Howard is freakish looking, and he doesn't need a, a even a drop of makeup. That is one of the best episodes <laughs> because that that episode is entirely about come in fear gentlemen. and prejudice. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Make a bit more noise over there. Uh, stoking stoking the fire. Yeah. Getting, we'll throw getting, you on there. Yeah. We'll throw you on burning fire. Bright. Oh, fire comes for free. You missed it. Fire, it fire, up. burning bright. Now that's, na, that, that is na, the, the corp, na, you're referring na. to the Corbomite maneuver. Yeah. It's a which great ended episode. Up being, which ended up being, you know, uh, used through uh, bits of it we used yeah. throughout the series. Yeah, they and do that again. They refer to the Corbomite maneuver again. At yeah, some absolutely, point in time. the bluff, yeah. the amazing bluff. It is a great episode. Just Clint Howard is freakish looking. Man. He is, but it, it really underscores. And they dub him with a kind of ethereal male they do, yeah. voice. Yeah, that's that obviously really, not his voice. And his teeth are all effed up, and he's got a bald head. But there's like, the... Uh, <laughs> this is, yes. This is so weird. There's the navigator. This is pre-checkoff. So there's the navigator who's uh, who's very... um. Prejudiced and uh, and 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 fearful. He's always you know like attack, attack. And Kirk yeah. is very, again, very calm. And this yeah. is what I love about that character in yeah. Shatner's portrayal. He's very calm in the face of what looks like the you know utter destruction of the Enterprise. Right. Just very calm, and he executes the Corbomite maneuver, which is basically ah, you know what, our hull is made of this material called Corbomite that, you know, if we ignite it, we're going to take you with us, and it yeah. completely, you know, you know, saves the day. But then they meet the alien. And the end's like, you know, I just wanted to see what you guys were like. Yeah. They have the, uh, they have Baylock. He has a, a puppet he uses yeah. originally, like when they try to make, get contact with him. Yeah, it's just terrifying. A, who ha- actually, again, is Ted Cassidy is, is the voice of that puppet. I wouldn't be surprised. Lurch. And that image is shown at the, um, yeah. in the end credits yeah. of almost every episode. Yeah. Notice they, they don't, they don't show Clint Howard. No, 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 not because he would, that would turn be, off too many yeah. people. So they beam over to the, the uh, Baylock's uh, ship, which is yeah. called the Vesuvius, and uh, they finally meet him. And the the navigator, who's been you know like we got to you know fire phasers, we got to destroy these people. Yeah, he, he says you know I've got a lot to learn, and Captain, I'd like to stay yeah. and be the emiss- the, the, the ambassador yeah. for the Federation. Hot headed guy kind of yeah. stays. And, yeah, and and you know it's all about you know learning to control your fear. 
Right. The unknown is not necessarily something you need to run away from. You can tell that's an early episode because uh, because Spock is still barking on his orders. Yes. Please, let's have a touch of hair. He hasn't quite like, uh, he, mastered. He, and he, you know, he's he's yelling. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, <laughs> call my maneuver. I think. Mr. Bailey, please bring her about. It is Mr. Bailey. Uh, uh, might Maneuver, I think, and in, in our, our, our large viewership will correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was the yeah. first episode filmed once they got the series. I think someone's up. texting chat already that yeah, we're wrong. Maybe they're correcting us because we're, are we live? Uh, no. Jesus Yes. Jesus. Well, we're recording, but I'm also doing a live feed. Actually, the neighbors can the hear us. Intranet. The neighbors are probably recording this on their cell phones. So it was one of the first. <laughs> my, neighborhoods are, my neighbors are texting me going, shut up, shut up. Shut up. Shut the hell up. Uh, you can tell that the, all the collars of the shirts are right, different. Right, right. Uh, the costumes haven't settled down yet right. into their velour uh, first season. Um, <laughs> right. There's regular. a lot of, uh, you notice a lot of avant-garde shots. Like there's a shot overhead of the bridge looking straight down at them sitting in their chairs. And there's another shot of the camera handheld just walking behind a guy as he's walking. He's like... I guess they so, thought, uh, we're doing uh, a science fiction show. We're going to do some cool shots. Well, the cinematographer on the first two two seasons and a little bit of the third is a guy named Jerry Finnerman who went on to do Moonlighting. And okay. this was his first gig. That's trivia. That's a little bit trivia. Is that no. what you go on to do? Like, well, little, he did a lot a of other a, things. He evolved. <laughs> but he, was, he, won, he won Emmy Awards for Moonlighting, man. <laughs> that's a bit of a gap. I did Star Trek, and then I did Moonlighting. <laughs> no, he had a, he, and now you sat on a beach for 20 years. Did you see that more recent things. Taco Bell commercial? No. That was me. He, he went on to do many movies. But his, uh, his cinematography, his lighting, is, is one of the big uh, reasons that Star Trek looks as good as it does. So one of the things he did in the first two seasons you'll see is he did the slit lighting where you get this like lit rectangle over people's eyes and it's oh, but very they, dramatic they did that all the time no, that was no. that's an old 60s 50s absolutely oh, yeah, the, you mean name the another eye, show you mean the eye lighting yeah, yeah. Any, yeah they do that they do that a they lot they do that actually. all the time in old movies all the time any old horror film you watch any of those lon chaney films yeah, they're they all the like eye, highlights on the eyes yeah, they do the sure, eye lights. sure but the, the oh sure yeah yeah, yeah they did I'm, it that, but it's not the same thing um but he 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 did these massive things with color, where especially when the, on the planets, every every planet they went to in those first two years had a different color, and mm. he would lit the sky differently. It's like right. the three CSI series; Sorry. they all had a different color. Did they? New York was blue. Oh, really? Los right. Las, uh, Las Vegas was like gray. Maybe, Let me take my that's sunglasses. What, that's what happened. He did Star Trek. They did Moonlighting. Then he did CSI. That's right. Maybe and then he well, said, hey. only twenty five right, right. years between each. Sherry Finneman <laughs> is a god. I will not have his That's name. Funny. And this is like the CSI Miami was all every yellow and gold. That was the worst show. It was of the all best time. one of the three. The In fact, there was one worst. when New York when CSI New York launched. They had the, in the first episode. Um, what's his name? David uh, Caruso. David Caruso, the worst actor of guest, all time. Guest uh, starred, and so you have New York was blue. Everything was like a blue steel look to it. And in the opening scene, they're in a crime scene inside of an apartment, and they cut to the. To the <laughs> down the hall, and there's David Caruso, and everything is yellow around. Did he him. pull oh his sunglasses God. off and look at the camera sideways? No, he picked, picked, yeah, and then this he walked out sideways yeah. for forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there was Meet an episode. I don't know if I said this in the last episode, but there was an episode. <laughs> yes, you did of Star Starsky and Hutch. Oh, yeah, I think you said that with Caruso. Right. No, I'm pretty sure you said that. I think you probably did. I think I remember that. Caruso I don't remember that. Is awesome in his weirdness. He's terrible. He is I, ad, one of the worst actors of all time. I, you know, I saw. What? Go ahead. 
I can't Anybody stop. see Jade? I can't Anybody stop. See Jade? I can't stop. There's he a steamroller. He said about three syllables. <laughs> I know. So we got really... couple, We kind of got to let him go. <laughs> okay, Listen, you ever see the movie Jade? Oh my god! It was a god. terrible movie. He left uh, NYPD. What about Copland? Copland. He was in Copland too, oh. I think. He was awful. He's an awful well, actor. He, he was great in the Stars, uh, Starsky and Hutch. Okay. with Frank Lodge. I believe you. Okay, it's an interesting. Uh, Sense of scale on that episode, the Cobra might maneuver when uh, the big, the first Federation ship. What are you laughing at, monkey boy? <laughs> it's like, okay, Chad's done talking. I'm going yeah. right back to where I was. Like, as if I got to go back to the minutia. Yeah. Well, Chad's going to take a break. Speaking he's, of exactly where I was, let me go back to my. He said his four nap. words. Now he's back. To well, this uh, this might lead you to something, Chad, because uh, um, I remember in the original episode, the first Federation ship that Baylock is driving or piloting is this huge ship. Well, the Vesuvius is that the little scout ship that oh, breaks might off, be. or might is it be. the yeah. big one? Because the ship, the big ship he drives is gigantic. Like yeah. I remember in the original episode, it's like it comes right up, and it's just yeah, the Enterprise is like it's, a dot. Yeah, it's made of uh, it's made of yellow uh, light bulbs. Yeah, it's like giant giant bulby yeah. bits. Actually, of... no, just yellow light bulbs screwed into a ball. Yeah. But what I wanted to to throw to Chad is um, let's throw to Chad because. Uh, uh, the they've since remastered all the episodes, right? The yeah. Star Trek episodes. They've redone all the effects, and now that's it's actually yellow domes that are all over the surface of it. Yeah. And I gotta say, I'm completely 100 percent against uh, them redoing the effects. Really, 100 percent, 100 percent against. Uh, that it. is an unexpected. Rep- um, uh, I think it's atrocious. It annoys me so much to watch them I am, now. I and I completely agree with you, but I'm surprised that I completely agree with you. Right. You put your like sandaled should... foot through your television because I, you saw it. I did. It, it I, annoys I, me to no end. Can I have another it's, sidebar? It's ridiculous. Go ahead. Another sidebar. Yeah. Go ahead. So I just returned from Washington D.C. I mean, and, I was going to give Chad a chance to talk, but you go ahead and no, ch- okay. talk to us. You tell us about the Smithsonian. <laughs> yeah, no, this will be far more interesting. Star Trek stuff. There, I've just spo- oh, I just oh, ruined your story. Damn you, <laughs> damn you all to hell. So the reason for this trip, the primary reason, uh, was to see the refurbished 11-foot Enterprise model from. Yeah, the you tweeted series. some good pictures, and, or Facebook some good pictures. I, I enjoyed I don't, that. I don't tweet. I don't know how to tweet. I think it yeah. involves some crotch grabbing. I'm not sure what you do to tweet, but. But it was awesome. Well, you would it. let if you would let me tweet on your behalf. You're not grabbing my. Crotch. You would be the That's most cleverest. That's what I'm saying. Tweeter that what ever. I'm saying did. there's no grabbing. Right. Tweet. So, um, I, we went. My family and I went down for a trip to see the all the museums and the gorgeous downtown Washington and, and all the yeah. all the monuments. But we went to the uh, National Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum. Right. After fifty years. They finally restored the you model. You waited 50 that was years the, to go there? Oh, no. oh, sorry. They finally restored the model that was used during those, those three seasons to how it looked at the end of uh, Trouble Tribbles, where right. they, they finally made the last modification. And it was an, a religious experience yeah. for me. It is it the most amazing. beautiful yeah. model. It, it, and it, right as you enter the museum, it's yeah. not like it's buried in a corner. Yeah. You walk through the doors, and there in a, in a hermetically sealed glass uh, environment of the control case, Behind which is a giant painting of uh, a man on the moon. It, it's there to inspire future generations. You see right. that enterprise, right? And everybody who's who walks in, the first thing they do is they veer right and they look at that ship. And when the lights come on three times at eleven, one, and three, <laughs> there is a gasp. There is a gasp because it looks gorgeous. Right. Absolutely gorgeous. Is so, that the one that you're standing next to? 
Yes. It's a pretty big model. Yeah, I was going to ask you. 11 feet. 11 feet, what the dimensions were. 11 feet. So they didn't just bury it in a corner? 11 feet. No, it's right there as you enter. (laughs) Why would they bury it in a corner? It was. And for the last 20 years, it was was downstairs next to the gift shop. Like, you you had to go look for it to find it. Uh, They finally decided that that, uh, even though it's fictional and and the Smithsonian is, you know, has... It has the uh, the right fly uh, the the right uh, brothers ship. It, it has, has the a, Spirit of Saint Louis capsule. It has the Apollo eleven capsule. Eleven capsule. Yeah, it has yeah. all these real aircraft. Yeah. But Margaret Weitkamp, who's one of the curators of the museum, said this this model, this yeah. Enterprise, inspired so many people who now work for NASA. Right. Yeah. You could you could spin off front and center. You could spin off a whole conversation about how. Oh, let's. How much Star Trek has just inspired society? Oh, it, right. Let's. Yeah. And, well, and doesn't all series. science fiction inspire real scientists to do real yeah, sciencey things? Yeah, and, it does. But this in particular. Then we have a microwave. To, it seems to have like, you know, they have the little, they have the little plastic squares that are like three and a half uh, yeah. inch floppy disks. Yeah. They have the communicators like the cell phone. Yeah. You know, it's We're, a. We have They have their little now. pads that, that they wrote on, like yeah. a little little iPad. I used yeah. a flip phone for a lot longer than I should have because it reminded me so much of Star Trek. Exactly. Did you, did you flip it and went? I did. No, I didn't. I did. And then you tucked it into your your belt clip. I felt a little thrill. Did you did you glue a little Velcro to the back and just stick it on your side? You don't laugh. I have a Bluetooth communicator now that that is hooked into my iPhone, so I can. Sit at my desk and I can flip the phone and make a call from my Star Trek communicator. So, Chad, why do you like the remaster so well, much? Well, you know, like I, the show was on as a kid. I, it, I watched it from time to time. I, if Three Stooges wasn't on or Gilligan's Island wasn't on, then I would watch it reluctantly because at wow. least, you know, that was really that it. reaches such a high bar right there. Which is funny because even though it was it was spacey and I liked Outer Limits and I liked yep. you know. Uh, Forbidden Planet and movies yep, like that. Sure. Star Trek was sort of, I don't know, I guess I, it, it's almost like I took it for granted because it was just always on. Right. Then Star Wars came out and it was like Star Trek? Yeah. What is that? Yeah. You know, yeah. and it, it was earth shattering, but the Star Trek You're not alone that in that. I think you're, you know, probably. But when they, uh, so when they re aired them all, they, on, on Bravo or one of those channels, yep. they, they re aired. Space, I think, yeah. Uh, when they re-aired them, I watched, I recorded them and I watched them all and, um, yeah, so I, I didn't really have anything to compare it to. So thinking back about what it was before, yep. I didn't even know the ones I was watching were remastered. I didn't think anything of it. Like that's I funny. thought, boy, they clean, really, they clean, they're clean. You don't think that's right. incongruous? The, there's an Enterprise and it's circling this beautiful planet with weather systems and lightning and clouds no, moving well, across the No, well, by the time I saw a shot that had that, that had planets, <laughs> yes. uh, I think I'd heard, I oh, think maybe okay. Ross had mentioned that it was right. it was a remastered version, and I was like, oh, okay. Well, there's a step up I can from see like a, a, you know, a styrofoam ball and a string. It but it's wasn't that bad. It's and it wasn't, it wasn't like bad, the Star Wars yeah. the way when when Lucas remastered Star Wars and and. While some Added of the shit, you know, some yeah. of the stuff was good, but yeah. most of it was really horrific. Right. Like there was no need to to, to populate a, Tatooine with yeah. creatures. Moss Eisley with giant yeah. Yeah. giant creatures where they're all burping and farting and running. <laughs> like, <laughs> like God help us. Like, but Chad makes a good point. <laughs> so, um, to the credit of the people at CBS that that did the remastering, yeah, they kept the special effects changes yeah. to be as in keeping with the original. Uh, shot as possible, so they didn't add anything. 
other than uh, uh, making it possibly a little bit more dramatic and um, uh, better lighting or, you know. Well, you must be pretty shots. ticked, Ross, because that beautiful Enterprise model that you reveled at the Smithsonian I Air and Space Museum, it's now a computer-generated image on the remasters. So, the, uh, yeah, and I, I mean, I... That I'm, sucks. I'm not a big fan of CGI. I think we've talked about this before. I'm not a huge fan. Yeah. I love that actual model. Yeah, so it's and, gone. And I have anybody it's not that gone. And the Smithsonian is still wondering where theirs went. <laughs> yeah. It's not gone because I, I just bought the Blu-rays for the original series, uh, one massive box that has all three seasons. Yeah. And you have the option of oh. watching it. And you can flip back and forth. Right. So but not if you're streaming it on Netflix, you're stuck with you're exactly CGI right. you're stuck Enterprise. With the CGI. And that so, sucks. Yeah, it does. Yeah, but does it really distract from the show? Well, what I don't what what I what I don't like is you've got people with velour shirt and you've got your flared pants tucked into boots. You've got Janice Rand with her beehived hairdo. Then you got this beautifully CGI planet with clouds moving by. Like it's, it's just incongruous. Yeah. Oh, but that's exactly right. I, yeah. yeah, I disagree. I think that all this, the effects that they added while they may have added weather systems on planets and they made them look, yeah, they look, they kept right res. in tune with a cheese ball sixties sci-fi show. Like, the the Star Trek Enterprise has these sort of semi spheres on the back of the little army hot doggy things that come off the back. Oh, and they they okay, there's so much wrong with what you just and said. They cells. Yeah. And they sell. I'm so just using wrong. very <laughs> technical. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to use language that describes them without knowing what For those three hot, hot doggy so those hot dog things, <laughs> those hot doggy things, <laughs> those hot dog things. on the back. It's those like, wieners. It's on like two forks on a <laughs> yeah. hot dog stuck oh. into a frankfurter. <laughs> If there wasn't With two a dinner micro- plate on top, if there right? wasn't a fire right between us right now, <laughs> there would be a fight like you've never seen. But I think everybody out there now knows exactly what the Enterprise they looks like. They don't. It's harder to describe the Millennium you just, Falcon. Just, you just described a hot dog cart, <laughs> as far as I know. That's a dinner plate with a... That's right. Yeah. So I at the back of the hot dog... Right. Nacelle. It's a nacelle. Yeah. An, oh, Warp engine. It's a nacelle. It's funny, you know, when I was about seven, six, six, maybe, I got a really cool Star Trek Enterprise toy, which was an Enterprise on a a skinny, skinny wire with a little counterweight, and it sat on a little pivoting piece in the middle, and it was remote control, and it it would just fly in a circle, and it it had a hook on the bottom, and it would grab a thing. I had one for... for I played with it one day. Oh. (laughs) It went in a circle. It was no Evil Knievel. You know, I love the evil Knievel. The ideal where you wound it yeah, up yeah, on the thing crazy, and it went crazy, oh, jumped everywhere. Awesome. It was like with authority. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that uh, anyway, at the back of the hot dog, there's a little uh, semi-sphere of yeah. color. Yeah, it's a spinning thing, like a no. That's at the front. That's at the front. At the rear is like a a, a ball. That's uh, it's more of a semi-sphere. Yeah, hemisphere. <laughs> More of a hemisphere. Well, you're talking about the color, colory, twirly thing. Yeah, it's on the back. No, that's that's at the front of the nacelles. Not on any, not in the versions I watched. If you're watching the Enterprise, (laughs) what are you watching it upside down? In the back end of it, does it fly backwards? No, never flies backwards. Okay, well, it actually does. I've seen it fly backwards. Well, when they pulled out of the dock, that was in Star Trek Three. What? The movie. That's right. They See, put it, in See it doesn't happen. It has a reverse. Okay. They All put right. it in reverse. All right. Not in the original. Story. Unlike my car, which you have to wait for it to come out of. 
Jesus. <laughs> you got to sit there five even, minutes for it to be able to <laughs> drive. I didn't even know where to start with this. But, <laughs> but anyway, yes, this is a long story to it get to the point. It is a long story keep, because it's so inaccurate. Keep and talking. Anyway. The, the, informa- the story that is as- associated with this glowing hot dog right. is that <laughs> <laughs> there's circular color that is kind of like spinning like a pinwheel yes. at the back of it yes. in a pinwheel it's not semisphere. The back. It's the front. Well, I'm sorry. Bill believes Why would they the take the front of the nacelle and put it on the back of the Enterprise? Well, they wouldn't. That's why I'm saying he's nuts. I don't get it. <laughs> should, should I show you okay. no, no, on no. my phone? No, no need to see that. An actual photo of the Enterprise? I thought the glowing things were in the back. In They're my in memory, front. it was. And it'll always be. But I know <sighs> that they were, a, they were part of the CGI tweaking. Right? No, they're there on the original. Okay, I well then you. I have no yeah, story. They are. So your story <laughs> ends think, there. But I think they're better. I think that they no. they redid them so no. that they they look better. If you better. if you so, no, so so they didn't redo that, but they redid everything else. Well, no, they, they obviously the, the whole thing is CGI for the remastered. But, well, exactly. But yeah. my yeah. point is, is that that effect exists on the eleven foot right. real model, and that was created yeah. brilliantly yeah. with uh, various strands of Christmas tree lights, right? Mini Christmas tree lights, multiple colors, blinking in random fashion. Some orange lights in a pentagon shape, five lights yeah. that slowly blinked on and off with a rotating fan, rotating uh, 12, 12 uh, um, spindles that rotated around it. To me, when you watch that, you think, yeah, man, that's powering me a ship. Yeah, that makes perfect <laughs> sense. Spoken like a model maker. Damn right, because yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to replicate that for years. And I know. I saw your pictures. were like, oh, look at this picture and this picture. You're taking pictures that only mean something to you because you're like, totally trying to figure out how it all works. Absolutely. Yeah. What's interesting to me is that in that model, in one shot Ross did, you can see the black wires coming into the side that feed all the lights. I'm glad you mentioned that, Bill. Yeah. So, uh, little known fact, uh, once in the first first uh, pilot, the cage, yeah. it had no lights. Okay. For where man, no man has gone before, the second pilot, they decided to add lights. But when they did that, it already had an 11-foot model made of solid wood and metal. Yep. All they could do was cut channels in onto the one side, which was the port side, the left side, in order to feed the cables in order to do these lights. Right. So the left side of the ship was never filmed right. from the second pilot onwards. Right. And when they went to production to the series, when they got the series pickup, they added even more lights, which was the blinking or the rotating lights in the engines right. and other things. Uh, that just further. So in fact, while it was filmed, there were wires running down the pylons. They're called pylons, Chad, not forks. Pylons right. that attach the nacelles. Also, I'm going to make. Throat. A Star Trek Enterprise out of things in my kitchen. I dare you. Do it now. Um, You can see, if you filmed it from the other side, you see these wires coming down completely out of sight. Oh, that is so wrong. That is so wrong. Chad's showing us a picture of the Enterprise made of hot dogs, bologna, and sausage. Oh, You will see this picture later on our website, nerdstalking.com. I want to talk about the most unsettling episode, and in my case, that's Wolf in the Fold. Why is that unsettling? It's another episode uh, by Robert Block. Yeah, which you were talking about. Not to interrupt you, author but of Psycho. Maybe it's time for Pringles. Pringles. We're starting. Speaking rec- of Pringles, we're starting recording, and now it's time for Pringles. The official sponsor of Nerd Stocking. Pringles. They're all the same size and shape. If you want a potato like chip Donald with Trump no potatoes, <laughs> eat Pringles. If you like to scratch the inside of your mouth. In a horrible way that will bleed for days. Worse. Try Pringles. But not as bad as Captain Crunch. No, Captain Crunch is the bomb. Captain Crunch, official cereal of nerd stocking. Oh, nerd stocking. 
Please, please sponsor us, Pringles. Please keep, please keep Ross and Captain Crunch. Yeah, and Pringles. So in uh, in Wolf in the Fold, uh, they're on a pl- they're uh, McCoy, Scotty, and Kirk are beamed down to this pleasure planet. Mm-hmm. It's apparently all prostitutes. No, it's just you know belly dancers, bars and belly dancers. And uh, Kirk is hooking Scotty up with a woman because, and this is a really goofy uh, bit of exposition they load in at the beginning of the episode, but uh, apparently. Scotty was in an accident yes. where he bumped his head and it was caused by a woman. So now uh, McCoy, according to McCoy's diagnosis, Scotty has total resentment towards women. So they're trying, uh, to, solve, they're trying that, to solve that issue. Is that true? Issue. Yeah, is it? That is exactly. Men look for a reason, any reason. To hate women? No, I don't. No, no not to hate them. To resent them. <laughs> to resent them. Well, I think it's, a, a, it's pretty petty for Scotty. But uh, anyway, that's the I way they. I don't remember that setup. That's the way they frame it. I'll believe. I put you. up three frames in a shelf while you were setting up for this. <laughs> that's the way they frame it. Because I just couldn't get out of here. So Scotty walks. <laughs> You're off. laughing, but I did. I did. No, you three, didn't. three, three frames in a shelf. There's three. What are you fra- pointing at? Because there's three frames on the wall right there, and there's a shelf downstairs in the laundry room when you go through. While anyway, he was setting. Anyway, if up. you could stop talking about Chad's house and his renovations. <laughs> it's a nice house. This podcast. Ish. We are sitting out behind it. We it's are nice. getting ready to decorate the 17th bedroom. <laughs> the East Wing? The East Wing. Finally, right? the East finally, Wing? Finally, finally. Oh, St- I've State. been telling you for years. It has been exhausting. I know. Well, your your staff is just, you know, you got to fire your butler. State well, leaves. you know, Please. We, we brought this one person to keep those people out of, like, Parkdale, <laughs> out of our area. We have a, a sawed-off broom handle. Hey, now. <laughs> Stately Chad Manor. <laughs> Watch it. Meanwhile, back at stately gender and manner. Um, so Wolf of the Fold. Yeah. So uh Scotty walks off with a a prostitute. Exotic with, dancer. <laughs> and uh, Exotic Dancer. And, They're not the same thing. And uh Kirk uh tells McCoy he knows a place where there's even hotter prostitutes. Uh exotic dancers. They're not the same thing. <laughs> so, yeah. so they go walking off and they hear a scream and they find ah! They find Scotty standing over a body of this chick he was with holding, holding knife. the knife. Yeah, he's pretty incriminated. Right. So they investigate, you know, the law of the land. There's Hingus, who's a who's a character actor who you recognize from a thousand different things. He's a little bald guy, a little bald brick. Oh, yeah, vicious yeah, yeah. little brick. Well, he's the uh, voice of Hingus. Piglet. Yeah, that's exactly right. He's the voice of Piglet. A little bit I just true, made yeah. that up. Is that true? I think you're, I mean, you're right. I he's got that same voice. I think that might be true. But... Uh, so they try, they're going to, tr- you know, not really try, but they're investigating whether Scotty is culpable or not. Scotty can't remember anything. I cannot remember, Captain. Uh, and, uh, the Dilithian Crystal Act. To cut to the chase, it turns out it's the ghost of Jack the Ripper. That's right. That's flying through space following mankind as they spread into space. It's like evil, pure evil. Pure like evil. you were talking about Lovecraftian themes, you know. I was It's a pure evil. evil. They have a, the, the thing that really fascinates me about this, the episode is they have a seance. They're trying yes, to, that's right. Is this another the, Robert Block episode? Yeah, right. It's another one of, it's Robert one of them. Block. So the uh, the administrator, his wife is uh, a witch. You know, she's a, not a witch. Well, not really. It's a, a you know, for lack of a better she, term, she's like a priestess or something like right. that, right? Well, she 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 yeah, she has some abilities that allow her to conduct a seance. Yeah, that will expose what's really happening. Right. Unfortunately, during the seance, spoiler alert. <laughs> She dies. Yeah. So also it's inter- known as a seance. Yeah, it's interesting to me the dichotomy there where 
you've got men who fly through the space and starships, and they're in a seance. It's, it's you know, a, a bit supernatural. Yeah. There's a bit of supernatural yeah. there that's kind of interesting to me. Yeah. They have the seance. She dies, so they go up to the Enterprise because computers. I don't know why anybody would agree to this. That's on this planet, but they mm-hmm. agree to go up because Kirk convinces them that the the computer will determine the truth, and there'll be no doubt. There's no room for doubt. No doubt. It's computers, yeah. damn it. So they go up there, and as they're having the hearing, the the entity that's it's actually Hingus that's killing the girls on that planet because it's an entity that's like the ghost of Jack the Ripper. It's pure evil, and it's it's following mankind out into space, and they do a tr- they track a tra- trajectory. Rigel of three, yeah, exactly. Yes, where the guy was from. So I don't know. It's un- unsettling to me because of the séance uh, scene. It's very unsettling. And at the ending, uh, you know, the thing gets loose and it gets into the computers, and it's like you can hear the voice: "You're all gonna die, die, die. I'm gonna kill, kill, kill you." Right. And like it's trying to feed on fear that it's generating from the crew. You know, they figure out the, the the names of this entity that's going through space, and one of the names is Red Jack, which Ooh. is, a, a, I guess, a, a, what they call Jack the Ripper back in Victorian England. And it kind of reminds me of Red Rum from The Shining. Yeah. Red Jack. I wonder if Stephen King was a... Probably a Star Trek was fan. Was a Star Trek fan. And he no doubt. Let's just, let's just call Red it Jack now. We're Rum. calling it now. Stephen King was a huge Star Trek fan. And he ripped off every episode in his works. <laughs> but to me, that was a very unsettling episode, just the way it plays out. And Don't they beam him out into space in the end? Yeah, exactly. Kirk throws a punch at Hingus as he's possessed, and Hingus dies, like, instantly. He's dead, Jim. You know, another one of those yeah. quotes from McCoy. And, he's not uh, really dead, and they're worried he's going to jump. Yeah, what they do is they, McCoy, of course, McCoy, through the whole series... He's like a he's like he's like a like we're talking about dope dealers. All McCoy ever does is apply sedatives to people. You ever notice that? No. In Star Trek. No. All no. He, he operated on Spock's brain. Well, under Spock's supervision. Well, yeah. Nurse Gretchen, can you come over here? I'm just going to administer it. <laughs> hey, yeah. hey, it's hey roofies. Now. Hey now. Whoa, whoa. It's roofies. Whoa. I prescribe just roofies. Lay on the table. Oh, now. Nurse Chapel, I need oh, you now. to come over here. But. Uh, so what McCoy's answer is, it's just this thing feeds on fear. He injects all the crew with this, with sedatives, so it makes them just, it's like laughing gas. They all go, they're all laughing and having a good time. And while the entity is in Hingus and they've got him uh, sedated, they throw him on the transporter pad and they send him out widest possible dispersion yep. through the transporter. Yeah. Which I don't think is really a solution. Well, he's dead, Jim. He's going to come back. He could coalesce. Mm. I think gravity... In no, space. no gravity in space. It's gonna, really no gravity in space. Well, no, what keeps the planets moving around? Then well, uh, we're not in space. That. Yeah, it's all an illusion. We're just we're on planets. Actually, <laughs> all of planets you, aren't. all of you, are a fiction of my imagination. I'm the only person <laughs> who's really alive. <laughs> fiction, I just wanna, a fiction of your imagination. You're a fiction of my imagination. Have you're, another you're rye and ginger, my friend. <laughs> oh, there's one coming. So, Ross, do you have an unsettling episode? Uh, and the, and the children shall lead. I think we talked mm. about that. That was my unsettling episode. Um, my favorite episode, though, uh, if we can circle back, just yep. because I want to, sure, and nobody's going to interrupt, is uh, the Doomsday Machine. Okay, Doomsday Machine is brilliant because it has such excellent acting from uh, uh, William Wyndham, who plays uh, Decker, yep. Commodore Decker. Sorry, is that the episode where Kirk comes down to a planet and meets? Is that the one with, Negative. with his brother? I'm gonna say no. No, that's Operation Annihilate. Yeah, that's that's one of the end of the first. That's the season. one with like the flappy. Yeah, the flappy monsters. things. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that, okay. that that that. Uh, it reminds me of again Stephen King, The Mist. Exactly. See, oh, Stephen King is a fan of Star Trek. That's I'm interesting. 
No, the Doomsday Machine is the giant uh, ice cream. It's cone a cigar. In space. In, oh, I was going to say cigar in space. No, it's more of an ice cream. No, let's cone. talk about the other one with the flappy things. No, let's not. Um, <laughs> giant ice cream cone in space, which is a Doomsday Machine built by some civilization that now is long deceased, thanks to their Doomsday Machine, yep. which oh, is now right plowing there. through Federation space and devouring everything in its wake. Devouring planets. Devouring not whole just planets, systems. not just solar systems. It's Galactus, but the constellation. Uh, Commodore Decker ship, and he beams his crew right. down to a planet which he thinks will save them, and then the thing eats the planet. So, right. you know, bad choice. Pesky. Pesky. Bad choice. Uh, but when he gets aboard the Enterprise, you know, he's like Captain Ahab. He uh, decides he's going to, you know, take on this thing that is unbeatable. Meanwhile, Kirk and Scotty are trapped on the on the Constellation trying to make it go again, yep. trying to make it worthwhile. Kirk sees what's happening. He's like, uh, what are you doing with my ship? Yeah. And uh, one of the best things is they figure out, Decker... Decker takes a uh, shuttle and he he goes you know he flies inside the maw of this ice cream cone. Yep. And the warp engines explode and the, and the the energy signature of the of the doomsday machine drops. And everybody's like, "Well, that might work on a larger scale." And Kirk says, "We're going to ram it with the constellation." Right. So the music and I, I'm going to say Fred Steiner, maybe it wasn't, but yeah. I'm going to say Fred Steiner is is when they introduce the da 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 Right. Da dun da dun da dun da dun da dun da dun da and and which uh, John Williams ripped off for a Jaws. Exactly. So while the while this constellation, this crippled AMT model, eighteen uh, inch model of uh, the Enterprise, which they repurposed for the constellation and all its uh, just just they kind of rough it up, I guess probably. Yeah, but it's actually a model of that was a, you know commercially available. It's uh, like a Ravel model or no, something. No, uh, AMT. They okay, had the right, and yeah. so it, as this ship is moving towards, and they're gonna they're gonna detonate the the warp engines, the matter antimatter. Yep. You know, suddenly something goes wrong in the Enterprise. It's like smoke co- again. It's always the smoke. Smoke comes out of the transporter pad. This guy's I cannot be on the back. There's problems with that. With that oh, yeah, that's right. You just see that. Yeah, the things are the things are puffing smoke. Was and that meanwhile, the Scottish guy from Austin Powers. You no, know, <laughs> although maybe I sounded like him briefly. <laughs> get into my belly. Get into my belly now. Get into my belly. Oh, get into my belly. Oh, cry yourself to What's sleep it? on your big oh, yeah, wee lad. Get into my belly. What's interesting is uh, I think that's the episode where. Uh, Scotty is explaining to Kirk uh, the setup. He's got yeah. wire to explode, yeah, and, and he goes, "Push this!" And he and he, lo- and he loses his uh, accent. Interesting. Yeah, I don't he think goes, I've ever noticed that. He before. goes, uh, and it goes boom, and he says it in his normal Canadian accent. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, so they've got it all wired. Scotty makes it back to the Enterprise. Meanwhile, Kirk is stranded on the thing. Yeah. Is heading towards this maw of this, you know, yeah. you know, universal the lights are destruction. And he's like. Uh, anytime, anytime, uh, gentlemen. Uh, now would be a good time anytime, to beam me up. Anytime, and you know, at the last possible moment before yeah. the constellation explodes, it's like they, that that sting. And yeah. and just as he appears in the transporter pad, and Scotty's like, Captain. Oh no, wait a minute, that was Chekhov. <laughs> Captain. And and he and he like acknowledges Scotty with a glance, and then he runs up to the bridge. And and there's that beautiful romantic music where you know everything is all right. And he's like, that's the love theme from Star Trek. And oh, that's yeah, Ruth uh, from uh, Shoreleaf. Right. And you know he runs up to the bridge and he's like, uh, yeah, we destroyed the. It, it, it worked. He's like, oh, thank God. But it's it's it the 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 tenseness the yeah. the music yeah. is so perfect in that episode. There's a lot of good byplay, like you say. Uh, uh, William Wyndham as Decker, he takes command of the Enterprise and he's giving Spock shit and McCoy is like threatening to like, Spock says, 
doctor, if you were to find that he was medically unfit to be le- mm. to be a command, you could do it. And McCoy would say, "I'll do that right now." And there's a lot of neat byplay yes. trying to get control back from Decker. And right? Decker says, "I don't recognize yeah. your authority." And he's playing with those <laughs> yeah, little those discs, cards, yeah. those little cards. Yeah. I don't recognize. It's so your good. William Wyndham is really good on that episode. It was an aw- he, incredible episode because yeah, he's got a big arc. You know, at the beginning, he's. He's traumatized. Completely. He's almost like catatonic. Yeah, he's almost catatonic. And then slowly he, he realizes the Enterprise is a good tool to get back at this machine. So he, he you know, he commandeers it. Very much like Captain Ahab. He's willing to sacrifice the entire crew. Yeah. And Kirk, of course, is like, uh-uh, nuh-uh, <laughs> yeah. no, you're not sacrificing my ship, baby. Yeah. And it's interesting that uh, Commodore Decker is the father of the Decker from uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Do you know that, Chad? Huh? I did not up. know that. <laughs> something? Can, huh? you, can you wake up huh? anytime now? <laughs> uh, Speaking uh, of the 21st K- century. K- can you take one of those burning logs and poke your father with it and wake him up? Right in the eye. Right here. <laughs> now, see, she's playing a video game. Yeah, she doesn't even, she doesn't even hear you say that. Us. She's lost. Her, her face looks like uh, like, Kirk's uh, going into the mob. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, in the lights are shining. Like in the enemy within. That's oh! another terrifying episode. That's a great episode. Oh, I've got well that on done, my Chad. list. This is not to that. be mistaken with the better, t- the enemy within with Lou Gossett Jr. and what the hell? I haven't seen that. Dennis Quaid. Oh, no, that's, oh that's enemy mine. Enemy mine. Yeah. <laughs> mine different. is kind of like Slightly the word different. within. Enemy within is my nomination for best Shatner histrionics. And yet, because it he is- has that scene where. Uh, you know, uh, just well, to he get, nearly rapes uh, yeah. Yeoman Rand. To give a quick synopsis of the episode, uh, somebody beams up in the transporter, and they're covered with this ore that f's it up. So uh, next time when Kirk beams up, he's split into two personalities. He's in act, two actual beings that represent his personality. One is uh, compassion, and the other one is aggressive. Kind you know, of. Anger, you know what right? nobody noticed during the filming of that episode? What is that? Uh, uh, for whatever reason, uh, his shirt is missing the uh, Starfleet emblem. Really? Yeah, the little, uh, you know... It fell off. Or funny, because I'm no. actually watching it right now. I see a picture of it right now, and he's got the emblem on his chest. Only on one, only when he's playing one of the one of the Kirks. Interesting. Which Kirk? Story. The, the happy Kirk or the angry Kirk? Well, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the indecisive... Indecisive. Uh, gentle... It's the apprehensive Kirk. The apprehensive Kirk, and then there's the animalistic... Uh, decisive, you know, yeah. um, uh, Kirk. The only reason why I picked that is the best Shatner histrionics is he's got that, he's got that scene where he's like, I am Kirk, and his he's just his face, and yet, is and yet that that episode screen. very early in in season one cemented the uh, the character of Kirk. You need that dark side to command. Right. Well, uh, it's interesting. This kind of leads me into the idea that. Um, Horatio Hornblower was a real influence Absolutely. on Roddenberry when he was creating Kirk. And Hornblower was a guy who was, you know, he makes great decisions. He's got great judgment, but internally he's always questioning himself. Like he's not sure, right? Well, like, which is the original um, uh, the original uh, character that Roddenberry wanted when Jeffrey Hunter played Captain, uh, Captain uh, Pike. Was it Pike? Yeah. Yeah, it was Pike. Oh, God. I'm- because they did the menagerie. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. It's Captain Pike. So yeah. in that episode, you'll in, in the cage, you'll see him retreat to his quarters and say to the doctor, oh, "I don't know what I'm doing. I, I don't even right. know why." Yeah, he's always questioning himself. That's what Ho- Hornblower was doing. Yeah. So, so books. Roddenberry originally envisioned him like that, and then uh, when Shatner came on and they they changed the character to Kirk, 
I said, you know, that wouldn't be very interesting to see the captain, you know, moan about not really, you know, the loneliness of command, and it's not very heroic. Yeah, so it's something you want. It's just a maybe a recurring uh, character trait, not somebody's always pissing and moaning about how he's. No, so Kirk, I don't think Kirk ever doubted his command decisions, but he did feel. Uh, well, as often he subtle. says, often he says, like, I'm responsible for the lives of f- 400 people or whatever. Well, right? in the naked time. Where it exposes their their innermost um, passions, and you know Spock cries over his never been able to tell his mother that he loves her. Right. And Kirk is like, you know, the ship. The ship is is my life. Everything about my life is this ship. Right. And uh, uh, you know he he is absolutely wedded to it, and it feels that pressure of of having right. to command four hundred thirty two people. You mentioned naked time. I think in that one he really. That's the thing that affects Kirk. Is yeah, is he is he is he talks about you know the ship and how it, it it's the you know just constantly pulling at pulling him. at him and yeah. you know having to be responsible for four hundred thirty two people, uh, but in in every other episode it never really he never really shows that like he lets down his hair and when I say hair I mean that euphemistically because he's wearing a toupee <laughs> yeah. but you you know he he lets down his hair with 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 Spock and McCoy but generally to the crew he always appears as you know, this wonderfully in control. Right, he's a guy in control. He's a guy I look up to. Except in Turnabout Intruder, where apparently if a woman switches with your body, you become an irrational, psychotic yeah. beast. Well, well, what's the problem with that? <laughs> We've just alienated our one female <laughs> listener. You know, there's a couple of other uh, great little points about this episode. Which one? Uh, one is that... A ri- in what's this the episode? The Enemy Within. All right. Okay. Are we are we not talking? Yes, about we it? are. No, you blanked out for a minute, but that's okay. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. I nodded off. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. you did. You nodded off. <laughs> In this episode, the uh, the original script called for Spock to karate chop. That's right. That's right. Oh, subdue him. Absolutely. Instead, uh, Nimoy was like, you know, and he what? talks just like this. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> you know, you know you what? Know. Uh, it's not well, really oh, karate chop. The way I don't know if that's what I would do. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I wouldn't do Let that. Let me show you exactly yeah. a karate chop. And so he said, you know, how about how about I pinch his I neck? I do a pincher nose. <laughs> Thing on his neck, yeah. yeah. And what what's interesting, and you're absolutely right, but he worked that out with William Shatner ahead of time when they showed it to the director. And he said, "We don't think a karate chop would be very good for Spock. It doesn't really make sense. How about this?" And he reached over and grabbed William Shatner's neck, and Shatner, having already worked this out, immediately went did the uh, and fell yeah. fell to the ground. And the director was like, "Yeah, that's perfect." Yeah, everybody sells it whenever he does that. Oh, it's perfect. Everybody yeah. just. Paralyzes yeah. and then yeah. they fall. They over. even did it in that in a recent uh, car commercial well, with the Zachary Quinto. Really? Yeah. The, has uh, Zachary Quinto ever given anybody the Vulcan nerve pinch? I don't know that he has in any of I'd the. I'd like uh, to give him the, the Vulcan nerve pinch. Come <laughs> Only in the glory hole. <laughs> oh please! Uh, this is the please only. God. This is one of the only times that uh, James Doohan's middle finger is shown missing. Yeah, right. on his right hand. He lost it in the war. He lost it right. in the war too. I lost it in He's the a war. World War II hero. And to make yeah. note about what you're you're saying about his emblem missing, uh, actually, when he's evil Kirk, uh, he is wearing his wraparound uniform. Oh, the he's two, wearing a completely different uniform. Yeah, oh, he's, he's wearing the, the the split one. Yeah, That's yeah. Right. the green one. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the emblem doesn't go with that one. No, no, it's not that one that is missing. It's the normal gold gold shirt. Oh, really? It's the normal gold shirt. Well, I think gold, they specifically really had it in his back pocket. Possibly. Possibly. You Chad, do you want to read anything else off your laptop <laughs> about the episode? No, yeah. this is all from my really? reasonably r- recent memory. Amazing. I'm Captain Kirk! 
Chad's in trouble. Chad's My wife has just passed me a note that says, where are the trail mix or nut bags? Nut oh bags? My. You Boy Scouts? Hang on. Hang on. You Can we talk scouts? about this? You're going to have to. I get called. I mean, asked where the nut bags are, you Boy Scouts. You nut bags, Boy Scout. You're going to have to. Where's your uh, nut bags, Boy Scout? <laughs> you're going to have to leave. I'm not sure. My nut bags are exactly Take where they should be. Ross and I are they, are they on a shelf somewhere uh, no in the Boy basement? Scouts. I think Ross they're on a I, shelf in the basement. Well, Ross where are yours? Have, Ross and I will of have Of course a they're in the basement on a shelf. I just put that shelf up earlier while Bill was setting up. I put up a shelf, three frames, and I put my nut bag on top. Ross and I will have a two minute discussion while you take care of that. A point. Nut bag. Uh, <laughs> at, at at most I don't two know. minutes. They're in one of those drawers. They're not. <laughs> they're in his nut drawers. Bags are in a drawer. You just drew the a circle with your fingers. A, <laughs> you well, drew a circle. It's the international symbol of drawer. Is a circle with my. Is finger. it or is it? I don't really know. So I'm making something up. It is true. It's that the, because I've had. I'm on my third or fourth rye and I'm on my fifth. Thank it God. is true that the nut bags are in your drawers. <laughs> <laughs> That is true. <laughs> I have no comeback to that. <laughs> that is true. My nut bags <laughs> are, in, are my in my drawers. I, I think. Good night, Toronto. I think. I think we should have T-shirts made up <laughs> with that as our slogan. Now this is the a net stocking sh- slogan. So all you uh, net stocking people, nerd if you stocking. like nerd stocking, uh, yeah. please drop us a line, and um, soon you'll be able to buy a T-shirt with my nut bags <laughs> are in my drawers. <laughs> in in <laughs> episode twelve. We'll have a questionnaire. Where are my nut bags? Who knows? You decide. I'm going to continue with my categories. Oh, please do. And the next one is uh, best guest shot. Oh. And in my estimation, it's William best Campbell. Best money shot? It's William Campbell in the Squire, Squire of Gothos. Yeah. Playing Trelane. It's such a great, energetic, happy performance. Really? I love it. Hmm. And it's uh, commonly regarded as the first instance of uh, a Q character. It is. Well... It, of the same species that eventually Q represented in the next generation. Right. Although I don't, I'm not sure if that's canon yet. Uh, no, I don't think it's official canon. But no, but they you did. just see his. He, it's he's gleeful. He's impish, and the Q is very much like that. John Delancey. See, it's interesting. I would have said William TNG. Campbell as Koloth in uh, the Trouble with Tribbles. Right. The Klingon yeah. commander. Where we and and. When they brought him back for that episode, which was season two, yeah, they originally thought that he would be a uh, continuing foil for Captain Kirk. Right. Uh, unfortunately, right. that didn't work out for whatever reason. Well, what's interesting is William Campbell yes. uh, went on to have a role in Pretty Maids All in a Row, the 1971 film, which was Roddenberry's only feature film script. Uh, with Rock Hudson. At the, There's a bit of trivia. Yeah, very disturbing, actually, story. Um, How Rock that? Hudson is well, he's a he's a gym teacher, I think, or a phys ed okay. teacher, right? Who's um, accused or, or or has relations with his um, students, um, and it's it's quite a overtly sexual, which yeah, Roddenberry well, it's one of those sexual romps of the early seventies, right? But not like, not so uh, much a romp, more like of a Barbarella. Disturbing, no, it's more disturbing than it is a romp, I think. Uh, okay, and yeah, it failed miserably. It's played uh, straight. It's played straight and uh, quite not, not you know, kind of one of those cringe-inducing kind situations. Of like, uh, well, Valley of the Dolls, was that played straight or was that comedy? No, that was camp. That was, I think that's more camp. Although, no, actually. Roger Ebert's only script. Yeah, I, I take it back. It's probably not camp, uh, although there are camp elements and people probably appreciate it for the 
bustiness of the camp. <laughs> um, right. But uh, <laughs> probably not full-on camp. Russ right. Meyer. Russ Meyer-directed film. Right. Um, you know, know are we going to talk about Roddenberry's post-Star Trek experiences, uh, or are we going to move on to something else? Well, um, let's hear from Chad. <laughs> well, it's an Insert empty... Cricket. Cricket. It's an empty seat right now. No, no, no. You, 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 We're you, definitely boring Chad with this episode. You, you do the cricket thing right now. This is the... You probably could hear crickets. We are sitting outside. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, Trelane has a an interesting line where he, uh, you know, he, he's he's fascinated by Earth culture and, and with a particular emphasis on the Napoleonic age. And uh, he learns from Kirk that there's women on the Enterprise, mm. so he beams down a random uh, ensign or, I don't know, or a random woman, and then Uhura. Yes. And when he talks to Uhura, he says, oh, a Nubian princess. You know, he kind of makes mm. one of the many, co- not many, but they make a few comments about Uhura's race in the series. And this is one of them where he says, a Nubian prize obviously taken from one of your raids of conquest, right? And uh, it's interesting. It's an interesting... What's uh, her rejoinder? On... I don't think she has any rejoinder. She's she does. Kinda looks, she looks disgusted at him. She does, it? but I think she says, uh, neither. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, she she right. completely... Um... Well, that's what they do. They set it up, and then she knocks it down. It's interesting. Yeah. And this is this is 1966 or 67 yeah. we're talking about, right? So mm, Probably 66. Yeah, it could be 67. Or first season, remember. anyway. First, oh, season. first season? Yeah. Yeah, first season. But it's interesting. They do it again in a very later episode, The Savage Curtain, where Lincoln appears on oh the God. bridge of the I Enterprise. I just watched that the other day. And uh, he again, he calls her a negress, and then yes. he apologizes. You know, in my ter- my time, we had more cruder terms, right? Yes. Yeah. It's just one fair. of the mentions of Ahura, which I think are interesting because it's dealing with race. Right? Well, which is the only time they refer to it. Otherwise, she well, is like just I said a again, competent... Trelane says it to her too. Yeah. Otherwise, she's right. just a competent member of the bri- mm-hmm. of the senior bridge crew that. Um, does her right. job and does her job well. Well, I, I like it that they do more than that. They they not only have Uhura as a competent member of the, of the crew, which Martin Luther King himself was talking with Nichelle Nichols and encouraged her to continue, even though she wasn't happy with the role, the role of Uhura. Yes. Because he was just happy that she was a member of the team. She was treated as an equal. And just being treated as an equal and not talked down to and not made a minstrel or like, uh, you know. Yeah, a joke. A joke was an incredibly powerful thing for the time, right? In fact, there was an episode where she had to take, uh, she sat and she had the con. She was in command because everybody else was either off uh, off planet or, or uh, otherwise engaged. And she had to take, she sat in the con. So she she is, uh, you know, one of the senior um, officers of the crew. And and yeah, she had, she, she was feeling that she wasn't saying much more than, uh, handing frequencies open, and she wasn't sure whether she should continue to do the show. And when she met Martin Luther King, he said, absolutely not, you must stay with the show because people need to see in the future a multiracial uh, crew where it's not even discussed. It's not It's not an issue whether you're a woman or you're right. Japanese or you're black or right. you're Vulcan. It doesn't even, it's not even an issue. It's just right. you're there. It's an interesting point you're making because... I don't know, to me it's kind of interesting that they make a point of it but what you're saying is in the long run it's better that just it's not even an issue. It wasn't even I mean other than the odd case where an right. alien would mention it and in your case um uh it's a Trelane. Trelane or or uh, Savage Curtain yeah. otherwise it was never mentioned. I guess and you can give uh you can give 
Abraham Lincoln a pass making a comment like that because well, he, he did kind of free the slaves, right? And he was shot he did in the more head. than anybody else, you know, ending racism in America. The Emancipation Proclamation. Right. Yeah. So that's you know, I'll give you a pass, Lincoln. Yeah, I think, <laughs> although it wasn't really Calling Lincoln in the end. Yeah, know. it wasn't yeah. really a pass. Uh, but otherwise, I think the whole, the the beauty of the show was that is that. You just accepted it. There's a Russian. Yeah. There's a uh, Sulu who's Japanese. There's a horror who's from Africa. There's Spock not, for, who's not, from not that long from uh, World War Two. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it was Sulu's only really twenty years. So Sulu's a big deal. It's a big deal, and not only yeah. that, you're in the middle of the Cold War with the Russians, and then yep. in the second season, yeah. up pops uh, Davy Jones. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's exactly. I was gonna uh, say uh, it's really more uh, to have eye Chekhov. candy. Than, yeah. Than uh, make you know. Detente. including the including the <laughs> wig they made him wear to make him look like yeah. uh, Davy Jones and the monkeys. Yeah. Uh, but you know, an incredible mixed, and there was uh, Doctor Mimbenga who showed well, up. Well, uh, the season. guy uh, uh, Daystrom yes. in uh, the Ultimate Computer, yes, uh, a black man who's, who's who's like the head of computers. He's the yeah. guy that designed all the computers, right? Came up with a dualtronic, uh, uh, you know, uh, electronic system. For the yep. computers, right? That could potentially run the whole starship, except, you know, then it decided to attack everybody. Yes, of course. And then yeah. Kirk has to pull the plug. Well, not No, he doesn't pull the plug. He convinces it to self-destruct. Well, it's one of the second, other than thing. Return of the Archons, where he convinces a computer to destroy itself based on his logic. Right. But what you said is complete contradiction to what you were designed for. So Kirk does is, not compute. Kirk is creator. Yes. Creator is imperfect. Yes, that's Nomad from the Chain. You have made a mistake. Yeah, I'm talking about a different, different thing there. That's all right. It's a it's a I'm theme. My computers. Where Kirk can uh, outwit computers, and in fact, he outwits Spock in Where No Man Has Gone Before in the three dimensional chess. I was gonna say, yeah, it's because he's so erratic and illogical in his moves. He kind of throws instinctive. Spock. I prefer to think of it as instinctive. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I like at the ending of the Squire of Gothos uh, where. Yeah. Trelane is eventually confronted by his parents, quote yeah. unquote, and uh, they do they do a funny line where they say, uh, you know, Trelane, if you can't take care of your pets, you can't have any pets at all. And he's like referring to the the mother is the referring humans. to Kirk, the humans, yeah, referring to Kirk. So I think it's kind of funny. Yeah. It's such a um, omnipotent race that humans are seen as little more than pets. Are we are we paying Chad by the minute and then hence he's only here for like five five minutes out of Chad the Chad is show. dead to me. Um, I, I feel like we should up his rate, his hourly rate, just so a, that we can get him to Well in the same way that Deadpool could only afford two X Men. Yeah. You guys can't <laughs> afford a whole episode of Chad. I guess not. I, I didn't realize that was an issue, but we'll have to think about that. It's an interesting uh, effect at the end of Squire of Gothos where like I said, his parents have confronted him, and he's and William Campbell playing Trelane is he's pinned in a spotlight. Yeah, and it's like again, Jerry Fitterman, man. It's great. It's such a great Jerry practical. Jerry Fitterman. It's a Woo-hoo! great. It's a great. Thank you for that. It's a great practical effect. Like that's so easy to do, and it's incredibly effective. So they've got uh, Trelane in the spotlight, and he's complaining with his parents. He's whining. It's this is another thing that I like so much about William Campbell's performances. He starts off as a kind of an aristocrat playing the harpsichord, and yes, you yeah, know he's exactly. surrounded by shields and, and armor and stuff. And he he uh, does his arc where then he becomes this kind of dangerous, belligerent character, right? Where he's sentencing 
Kirk to death, and you see With the uh, brilliant lighting. Very you see the shadow lighting. of the you see the shadow of the noose, and then yeah. it slides in to hang right yeah. next to Kirk. I, actually, he's right in front of him, so he looks like he's being hung. Yeah. And then at the end, he's in the spotlight, and he's being truculent. He's a truculent child who's being chastised yeah. by his parents. It's like, come on, Trelane, you have to you have to go now. This is enough. And he's like. I never have any fun. I never have any fun. Yeah, and that like spot, Beaver. and that spotlight shrinks, yeah. shrink, shrink, shrinks. I never have any fun. I never have any fun. And they put a little bit of an echo in the audio, so it's fun, fun, fun. And the spotlight disappears, and so does Trelane. Yeah. It's a, all you do is aiming a spotlight. Can you get a cheaper effect? But it's so effective at the end of that episode. They were the right. people who worked on that show were brilliant at coming up with. Um, uh, very inventive solutions with very little money. Yeah, and that's very little money. really effective. I really like that. Yeah, Chad, what do you think about the Squire of Gothos? I think it was very effective. Really? <laughs> what was your favorite scene? You're not scene? just repeating what I'm saying. Uh, I know mine. No, I'm not repeating exactly I think, what you just I said. I think there's no other way to seem intelligent <laughs> than just to repeat what I say. No, I wouldn't think that it was intelligent. <laughs> okay. everything you that's just not, said. That's not where I was going with that. But... Uh, Ross, yes. Did you have a guest shot? Well, I mentioned uh, the same actor, but in uh, yeah. Trouble with Turbos. What I wanted philosophy. to say, actually, with that was, uh, I know I threw it to you, and then I'm going to take it back from you. Oh no! But uh, you're talking about uh, William Campbell being the uh, Klingon, but another great guest shot for me, which is a runner-up for my choice, was uh, John Colicos as uh, as the first the, Klingon. As the first Klingon in uh, um, isn't it? Isn't Day of the Dove? No, I forget which episode it is. It's it that that is a critical uh, episode actually because it not only talks about the uh, the prime that directive that introduces the Klingon Empire. It introduces the Klingon Empire, but it not only talks about the prime directive and the non-interference with uh, cultures, right? But it also at the end of it introduces the uh, the treaty where uh, these very very powerful beings uh, sort of force the Klingons and and the Federation into accepting a treaty, which then becomes you know the. Um, the the way of things for the rest of the series is the Klingons and the Empire and the Federation are. Is that are really in. true? That happens in that episode where yeah. The tr- God help me! I wish I could remember the name of that episode now. It oh f- uh, force. Um, oh patterns of force. No, no that's not a patterns Nazi of force. That's, that's the Nazi one. Yeah. <laughs> that's Chad. Can you look it up? That's where they're all Nazis. What, John Colicos. John Colicos. Star Trek. Yeah, you'll find the you'll find the hit. Don't get any cheesies on your keyboard, but um <laughs> that's funny. Uh, John Colicos? John Colicos. Good Canadian actor. Yeah. Who Shakespearean actor. He was then in Battlestar Galactica. Another yeah, it's uh, Baltar. Baltar. Yeah. The traitor. Yeah. Uh but he was the he was the uh first Klingon, I guess. Uh if you watched uh, The Changeling, a good Canadian horror film, he's the cop that's in- investigating George C. Scott. I did not know that he yeah. was in that show. Yeah, John Colicos. Always like John Colicos. Uh, we already mentioned That Which Survives, a great episode. And uh, that's my pick for best visual effect, is uh, La Sierra when she disappears. Which That Which Survives? That Which Survives. Are you seriously referencing that third season episode? Yeah. With Lee Merriweather. That is such a great episode. That is a terrible oh episode. Oh my gosh. It's, it's so one good. of the worst. It's, it's so terrible. good. terrible. It's so good. So I'm, I'm choosing that effect where. Errand of Mercy. Oh, Errand of Mercy. You're I'm right. right. I'm right. That is right. That's the Errand. episode. Errand of Mercy. Mercy. Errand of Mercy is the right God episode. God damn it. I can't believe John I, this is giving you my superpower. First Vulcan. Another first season uh, first, written. Uh, first Klingons. Written then by, the Trouble with Tribbles, then the Day of the Dove. 
written by Gene L. Kuhn, who is responsible for not only the Prime Directive, uh, but that, that treaty, uh, which is named by the aliens uh, from that episode. Um, and much of the humor that you saw in between the characters is, is coming from Gene L. Kuhn, who is the story editor for... Speaking uh, of Kuhn, he originally w- went by the name Ray. No. And he was Ray Kuhn. And no, he, he dropped didn't. the Y, and that's where we get the word raccoon from. I think it's better if you stay silent over there, Chad. <laughs> can you can you just pass the Cheetos? If you have because nothing good to that's say, pretty, that's pretty all you need to do. Don't say it. So, Larissa uh, Losira, she uh, she's a she's an, uh, a projection, an entity that keeps appearing in this episode, and when she uh, disappears, she shrinks down into a a, a vertical line, and then the line disappears. That's such a great eerie effect, and they have that theremin. She uh, vanishes, and it's so effective to me. It's great. While I agree with you in the special effect, it is nonetheless a terrible third season. So why would you say it's a terrible episode? There's, there's. I there's, like the I like the third season. It it what I like you, do some you know, of it. Do you know what? why? Okay, let me tell you. What is great about the third season? Hey Ross, sorry, pass that. Sorry, Bill needs to interrupt this to say he needs more Cheetos. I do. Cheetos, Cheetos. the official orange food of nerd stocking. No, that was Pringles. (laughs) They're not orange. No. This is the official orange food. The official orange number six, dye number six. Uh, What I liked about the third season of Star Trek, TOS, which I've only recently understood is the original series. Boggles my mind. I kept thinking, toss, toss. Uh, What I liked about the third season was Kirk's sideburns. Thought they were very cool. No, not cool. They 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 grew to. I didn't ridiculous ask what you liked. I asked. I'm telling what I like. I'm just saying. Yes, you're wrong. they were pointy. I'm just saying. You're and they wrong. were cool. They were cooler they than were his earlier. They were much bushier. The fact is, is that to the general population who's watching the show at home, they have to identify with these people. And so Kirk's sideburns reflected 1968. His hair reflected 1968. It was no, like it, 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 Elvis. Speaking of Elvis, oh, it was like it. Elvis. Damn it. <laughs> I can't believe we pulled Elvis into this. In Change of Habit. Right. With Mary Tyler Moore. Yep. One of the greatest movies, separate from all of his other films. And he had the same sideburns and basically mm-hmm. the same hair. This leads me to my choice for the worst episode. You already mentioned Spock's Are you still brain. on the first page, by the way? But uh, <laughs> what I want to say page is one uh, of ten. my oh, worst boy. episode is The Way to Eden. Oh, what's wrong with a bunch of hippies? Speaking of with weird 60s ears. leaking into the Star Trek yeah. future, it's yeah. the very worst of the '60s. It's the very worst. It is, and it, and it's you know it's 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 uh, you know very conservative um, establishment writers trying to show how uh, uh, the kids of the day are wrong by wanting to follow their heart to this Eden planet. Yeah. And showing that no, no, really, you should abandon all that and just conform like the rest of us. <laughs> the uh, terrible. It, it bothers me because Spock sympathizes with these freaks. He does, yeah. You know, and why would he? They're completely illogical, including right up to the end where they mostly perish because yeah. of their illogical. Like, let's just go to Eden. Eden. What is Eden like? How do they figure out where this planet is? Like it just—it's vaporous. What their goal is—it doesn't make any well, sense. No, they—they—they—they they, they, they have some legend that they think they've discovered the actual coordinates, and they—they want to go there, but uh, and they steal a shuttle to do it. But the origin of that story, uh, the original pitch was to 
try and show how a uh, very advanced but very uh, technologically um, dependent society yep. has lost some of its uh, humanity, humanity, and its um, uh, free, you know, running through the fields in bare feet uh, quality that that makes us who we are. Right. So the the original pitch was to show how do we how do we how do we talk about a story where uh, we're really just too advanced in order to to, to be really human and we need to find a way to to not do that and but these are just uh, really very stupid humans in, in the end it, i think it was rewritten by arthur singer who was the story editor that Far, um fred freiberger pulled in and, and it's not it's not good right it's not good even with the um the woman who's the uh the supposed russian who's a yeah Chekhov's big, flame Chekhov's flame from the academy yeah just were the worst there's zero chemistry like zero and and <laughs> Desperately trying two. to do a pseudo Russian accent that doesn't come off. Yeah. Check off. Yeah. You are here. It's terrible. This episode also has my vote for um, cringiest moment, and that's Which is? anytime uh, Charles Napier is playing his guitar. Oh. Singing a song. The way to Eden. Yeah. Anytime he sings. He's quite an interesting character. That, uh, that he's, guy. He's, cl- he's wearing like knee high boots and yeah. like a crazy shirt that ends at his. Thigh. Yes. Yeah. I don't think anybody <laughs> anybody felt that that show horrible. Succeeded. That's yeah. my worst. But you yeah. would vote for uh, Spock's brain, I guess. No, I, I again and and children Shelley is my worst. Oh, children Shelley, really? Yeah, I keep coming back to that because it's just so cringe inducing, and nobody nobody seems to nobody like that. Chad, you had something to say. Oh, you, Chad? I can tell. I think my by the way you're forming your lips. The, the worst episode for me is right. Who mourns for Adonis? Really, Adonis. It's not Adonis. It's Adonais. Really? Really? Not Adonis. That's not so. Right. Oh, they changed it because he's not exactly Adonis. Yeah. The whole nod to ancient Greece or Rome, it's sort of, it's too. They sell it obvious. Well. They sell it well though. It's very like, bittersweet. Like he they, used uh, to be. They uh, st- stopped worshiping him, so he went off into space, right? Yeah. And, and he, all the other, all the other gods slowly gave up and disappeared, and he's like staying behind. He's like, yeah, waiting. Waiting, waiting for his children, waiting for, for his children to come back yeah. and finally, finally, worship him again. Right. It's quite a quite, a, and it has that great scene where Kirk does the uh, leap over the rock. Okay. It's very uh, cheese, cheese, fromage. No, it's a, it's a. I it's stand a, by fromage. It's a reasonably good episode. And what's interesting is, uh, in Star Trek Beyond, they reference it. Because Scotty's talking about, what are you expecting? A giant green hand to grab the Enterprise? That's it. That's it. That's he where the giant green hand grabs the Enterprise. Exactly. The, which is like, space. again, back to the uh, Nerd Stalking episode which one? nine. Name it. Name which it. one should people nine, 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 uh, nine. Are we, are we talking about when we talk about Green now? Lantern? Okay. Trying to visualize a uh, giant green hand grabs the Enterprise. Right. It's just bullshit. I see. Right. It in uh, who mourns for Adonais? Adonais, <laughs> it Adonais. I'm gonna just gonna say Adonis because that just fucking doesn't sound right. Not to even because like Ross is just making up shit. <laughs> look at look at how it's spelled, man. But wasn't there an object? Yeah, there but was a AIs, energy source. Another we had another they, energy source which they blasted. They the blasted end. from the Enterprise with the yeah. full face. It's, phasers. The, it's yeah. the uh, structure. The yeah, the Greek columns. the Greek columns. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which kind of. You know, puts on the kibosh that he's actually a Greek god. That's well, of course, the whole point Roddenberry I think wanted to make 
Throughout, there are the, no gods. There are no gods. There is no any. It's the Arthur gods. C. Clarke. He's a good atheist. Yeah, well, the Arthur C. Clarke uh, um, uh, uh, line about uh, any sufficient technology will appear as magic to uh, civilization. Zeus, Hermes, Hera, Aphrodite, you were right. Athena, you were right. The time has passed. There is no room for gods. Forgive me, my old friends. Take me. So, uh, best creature in Star Trek, the original series, uh, my vote goes to the Horda in The Devil in the Dark. Hard to argue with that. Remember that episode, Chad? Right. Remember that? Wasn't that the episode? I don't know. I don't know. It's, uh, so there's a mining colony on some planet. Right. That I didn't write. Oh, is that the big, uh, that's the big scab. Rock. Yeah. It looks like a big scab. It's like a scab. Scab, yeah. Exactly. It's like a big Uh, pimple. I I describe it as the giant meatball pizza monster. There we go. Yeah. Right. It looks like a pizza with meatballs. Yeah. Yeah. That's my bet for uh, the best. Uh, I'm going to say the the Yorn. You mean Gorn? Gorn. Yeah. And the reason <laughs> the giant lizard. The yeah. big yawn. Yeah. Uh, no, the Gorn. The Gorn. What What I like about it is that it was clearly the inspiration for Land of the Lost with Will Ferrell. Which is a great modern movie. I don't think I've seen that. <laughs> it is so much fun. <laughs> It is like it's great for the kids. There's a few jokes that may be a little bit racy, but it's it is so much fun. The effects are fantastic. So they have the a dinosaur. giant lizard they fight. Yeah, well, in in Land of the Lost, Will Ferrell uh, travels into a different dimension, where in a sort of um, Bermuda Triangle esque uh, way, yeah. elements from our world drop into this world. Okay, he too drops into them, and so he lands. He ends up in this like. There's one scene where there's like a desert scape yep. and there is like, you know, oil tankers and aircraft that have crashed as an ice cream truck. Like yep. it's all sort of weird. And there's an alien species that's very much like the Gorn uh, who have this plan to take over our world. Right. But it's totally of the uh, the essence of Star Trek as well as the essence of the Gorn that's interesting. It's a great movie. So the, much fun. Children. The Gorn was one it. of my the Gorn was one of my choices because uh what's that episode that the Gorn are in? Arena? Uh, arena. Yeah, it's yeah. Arena. Yeah. So uh based on a short K- story. Kirk's yeah. got by whom? Is it Matheson? No. Uh hmm. it, didn't they do a similar episode in TNG where Picard and Paul Winfield or Paul well, Winfield dressed up as an alien end up on a planet and they got to fight? They don't fight, but that's a, that is one of the best episodes of TNG where uh, the Paul Winfield's playing... Um, uh, He's a captain of another ship. That's right. And yeah. they're, uh, um, uh, he only... He, the universe is translated as a work and it turns out that the species only speaks in metaphors. 
and right. and Picard has to understand kind of the opposite of uh, Dax the Destroyer and Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, and who he, doesn't understand metaphors? Exactly, doesn't understand anything that nothing not will go over my head. Yeah, I will jump up and I catch, catch it. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, in this case, uh, he only speaks in in in, in metaphors, yeah. and Picard has to figure it out in order to. Uh, um, save the day, and I forget what that episode is called. Yeah, I can't remember it either. But I think the uh, called character's called Dathan. Phalanx Palax. No, it's not. It's <laughs> absolutely not called that. No, I don't uh, think so. But I think the character played by Paul Winfield is Dathan, and uh, uh, I have a friend who named his son that. Paul Winfield? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Phalanx Palax. I don't think you're. I don't think you're hearing me. Gorn. Nope. Uh, named it. Named his kid Data. Q. No. Again. Again. No. <laughs> again. Data. No. no uh, uh, I. I. Is this mic on? I'm. I'm ready. Does he I'm even clear. have a child? Because you seem to not be uh, playing the game. I properly. made it all up. It's a. It's funny. Fantasy. Um. Yeah. So the Horda. Uh, Devil in the Dark is a great. Isn't episode. that the Jewish? Re- Tradition, the Hora. Yeah, that, well, that's their book, but yeah. it's the uh, no, that's the Quran. No, no, that's, well, that's the opposite. That's the, that's the exact opposite. Yeah. The Torah, Quran. The Torah, Torah, Torah. That's Jewish. The Hora. Oh, this is all getting cut. The Horda. Man, we are We're... so losing. <laughs> okay, so listeners. they go to this mining <laughs> the Hora, colony. Though is a dance. Yeah. They the go Jews to this. They go to this mining colony. And uh, <laughs> they have, th- what are they mining there? Dilithium crystals or something? Let's say yes. But of course they are. That's what they fucking mine. So uh, <laughs> there's productions halted because uh, guys are getting offed. Yeah. Miners are getting whacked. And uh, Kirk and Spock Dissolved. investigate it. And they Dissolved. find the Horda, which is a creature that can just move through solid rock like yeah. nothing. Yeah. And they it find was a rock. Eventually it was they, a rock lobster. Eventually they find a chamber of eggs that... Uh, belong to the Horda, and that's that what the Horda's doing is it's protecting its well, young. Well, isn't you that see, the fifth Indiana the, Jones movie, The Chamber of Eggs? Shush now. I haven't seen that one. Uh, you see the, the administrator of this mining colony has these eggs, and Kirk says, you know, what's this? It's sitting says, oh, we, we find these all over the place, but we like to polish them and play with them and <laughs> stroke them because it makes us feel better. Yeah. Um, and then and, he says, stroke days. Yeah, and, you know, Kirk has big brass balls, man. He's no, big brass eggs, you mean. Yeah. And uh, the the administrator is like, "Why? They're, they're, we just find them lying around." And then Kirk is like, "They're the children." Yeah, it's a holocaust that's going on. It's a pretty yeah. bad, slaughtering the kids. Pretty bad episode. It's smashing. an amazing episode. My favorite part. <laughs> what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? My favorite part is uh, Spock mind melts with yeah. the Horda. Pain. Yeah. Pain. It's a great, great, great oh. scene for Nimoy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Shatner, uh, unfortunately, um, during the filming of that episode, his father passed away. So he wow. had to uh, uh, film some bits, go away for uh, a Jewish funeral, and then come back. Right. And Was uh, it the horror? I don't even know what you're saying right now. <laughs> I don't want to be culturally insensitive. So I'm right. just going to leave that in your court. You can be the culture and insensitive. I was just going to be ignorant. That's yeah. all. There we but go. I'm pretty sure they do that there as we a go. dance. Right. But the whole point of this episode yeah. is that we is is we we want to destroy this creature that is that is killing our people, yeah. or the miners, because it's you know it must be horrible. It's killing it's killing the miners. It's killing our 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 technology. Uh, and ultimately, what we realize is actually we've been killing its children. Yeah. And we're it's a in the Holocaust. wrong. We're yeah. in the wrong, 
And when Spock does the mind meld, we realize that, oh. Yeah. And it's a silicon-based creature. It's not a carbon-based creature right. like we are. Right. And it's something we've never encountered before. Right. And Kirk calls down Bones, and Bones says, Damn it, Jim! I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. Yeah. But he patches, great... up, <laughs> yeah. he patches up the, the he's, Horta. He's who's just, been, he uses cement. He uses something that looks yeah. like cement, and, yeah. uh, you know, it's been hit by a phaser. And... Uh, no, no, yeah. just go to sleep over there. You're fine. <laughs> I'm just gonna slink down. No, no, on my you're chair, fine. So. You're fine. And uh, and and McCoy patches it up, and they realize that as long as they don't disturb the uh, the 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 horde and and its ch- and its eggs, its children, yeah, it'll help them out because it'll it'll, it'll open up empt- open up more chambers as it's moving around. But it's that is a pivotal episode for Star Trek because it really underscored the we must understand. We can't condemn something we right. don't understand. Don't when we understand it. something, yeah. we 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 can actually move on in a peaceful way as right. opposed to just destroying it. And it's a it's a fantastic episode. Well, there's a good scene where uh, Kirk Kirk discovers it, and like Kirk moves, and the thing goes. The little rug meatball monster goes. Yep. And then Kirk moves over. It's like trying to communicate with him. Yep. It's not attacking him. It's like a standoff. Like they're wondering, each one is wondering what the other one's gonna do. Yeah, it's it's a very well done episode, yeah. and and one of the one of the best episodes for right. sure. Right, Devil in the Dark. My runners up for that uh, best creature award is uh, some of them are the ejaculating plants of Omicron Seta Three. Omicron Seti Three. Yeah. That's what. This side of paradise. Oh, where Spock falls in love. The the plants that shoot their load in your face and then you have euphoria. Well, who doesn't? Not a very uh, who doesn't well disguised. It sounds very misogynistic. What? Who wouldn't want to be? Who wouldn't want to be ejaculated in the face and you, feel happy? You no, when you say it that way, shot in your face. When you say it that way, you smile bad. and you like it. Yeah. You like it. Yeah, Spock, Spock ends up like swinging from a tree yeah. with a big smile on his face. Yeah. It's it was yeah. shocking watching that episode as a kid. No. Because Spock is smiling and laughing and it's a terrific episode. Never it's seen like that. the episode where he goes off and he has his little traditional ritual where Ponfar. Ponfar where he gets it on and yep. he doesn't his, get it on. He says, Woohoo! I've come to yeah, get his, it on his for wife once blows him every off every twenty seven years. Seven years. But <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I live long. I prosper. I get it on every seven, twenty-seven years. I don't believe that's part of the saying. <laughs> I actually don't. <laughs> live, I live really don't. And prosper and get it on every twenty-seven no. years. <laughs> that the the episode you're referring to, the side of paradise, is quite poignant because uh, is it uh, poignant? It's poignant. It's poignant as those plants ejaculate in spots. No, that's that not that's not poignant the poignant part. Poignant? The poignant part is as that Kirk realizes that. Uh, uh, the uh, the the uh, colonists who are living on this planet are stagnant. Yeah, you know the the plants are keeping them alive, but they're not they're not growing. They're not evolving right. as a as a as a as a you know as humans ought to do. Right. And he realizes he fights through their effect by uh, his love of the Enterprise and right. his love of um, exploring strange worlds and continuing that mission. Right. And I heard he, that Donald Trump also has a love of the uh, his enterprises. Please don't bring Trump into this. Um, <laughs> he has the same hairdo as William Shatner. No, he does not. Um, and he has little hands. I think Shatner has little hands. And Shatner does not have little hands. And, he does and jazz Trump. hands often, but he's still... Everybody does jazz hands. I'm doing jazz hands right now. 
in your pants. Yes. Yeah, this yeah. Is, a, is a good episode. So he 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 <laughs> he tricks yep. Spock after he's freed from the spores yeah. influence. He tricks Spock into beaming aboard, and then he uh, he 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 goads Spock into a physical confrontation. Right. To uh, eventually, you know, Spock is very very strong, and and it's almost like he's about to kill Captain Kirk, and then he again that that strong emotional response frees him from the uh, spores, but yes. then. When he's when he he's released and he realizes that he's he's back to being Spock, he talks to the woman that he Jill Ireland, the actress that uh, plays the character that he has fallen in love with that yeah. he knew back in the academy. He <laughs> has to in say, I mean, I love you. Isn't that the isn't that the episode where Charles Bronson was like on set and like keep an eye on everybody? Making um, sure they don't steal G- his girlfriend Jill quite, Ireland. Who knows? But uh, maybe. Uh, but in I'll that last scene, he has to say, "I'll pull a Chad and say that is." Wasn't Jill sure. Ireland the mother of Kathy Ireland, the famous supermodel? I'm not no. sure. Of course, she was. No, she totally was. Charles no. Bronson was her father. I'm gonna say no. Uh, Wikipedia says otherwise. You haven't looked up Wikipedia. You're and, sitting there. You're and sitting there stroking the, your. <laughs> you're slowly elbow. going lower the, in your chair. The, yeah. the country of Ireland was named after them there we all. Go. There we go. Right. But it's a quite it's a quite touching scene where he has to explain to uh, to the woman that uh, you know he, the the spores have passed and he doesn't love her anymore. And oh, they're like the Ides of March. Is the spores have passed just like Ireland? See, we're, we're right back there. I no, see. we're not. We're in totally fact, back there. You just said nonsensical words in a sentence <laughs> trying to be intelligent and really you've not just trying thrown, no you're if I charles you're bronson failing. can be you're on the failing. star trek set he and he's the father of kathy ireland as you've said i have <laughs> i have not said that and the that might have been March the right that might have been the right date that those dates might work where see, exactly why don't we just say that kathy ireland is leonard nimoy's bastard child why don't we just say that you can say that Death Wish was an un, unrecorded episode of Star Trek. I think he's lost it. <laughs> Where they came down to the planet. Came down to the planet. <laughs> and Spock. where they encountered a vigilante who Bones. Right. didn't like what was going on. Mm-hmm. You're and crazy. he was a small... Please move on. You're crazy. Please. Indian-esque man. You're crazy. So uh, creatures, magnificent best stuff. creatures slash worst creatures. You guys have already mentioned it. Is the fake vomit creatures from Operation Annihilate? No, we didn't mention. I that. would say you Chud. Chud. They look is like the... they look like fake vomit. Little well, they are plastic chunks. And I love how they fly away and land on on Spock. They get back. Spock. Yeah. I'm gonna yeah. say Chud. That's the one where uh, at the end they uh, figure out the way to get rid of it is to b- bathe him with super light. Sure. And we'll, then they we'll like, oh shit, we forgot the mask. So yeah, Spock is blind, Spock's but then blind. at the end there's a Deus Ex Machina where it's like, uh, oh wait, Vulcans have two eyelids. Yeah, that's the one, eh? Luckily. So uh, my next one is best fight scene. Oh, I can't wait to talk about this. Which is uh, Kirk and the crew fight the thralls and the gamesters of Triskelion. No doubt, Kirk yeah. has his hands tied behind his back. He yeah. does this amazing flip. Yeah. Where he uh, 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 he gets rid of it, he gets he, loose. He pulls them up over his legs, right. gets completely loose, and right. even staying within the 
triangular yeah. sections that that they're although supposed that, to say. Although they don't really follow that strictly, because you see his feet go into the other no, zone. No, but quite a nobody's few times. complaining because he does these <laughs> drop kicks. Nobody's complaining. Nobody's complaining. It's a great scene. <laughs> they should be complaining. Nobody's it's complaining. supposed to stay within the uh uh-uh. within the zone. No, uh, they didn't. They didn't complain, so we're not complaining. It's like a swastika, isn't that what they're fighting in? No, it's not a swastika. <laughs> it's a, the game arena. And then he he goes uh, at the end of the episode. They're like, "Hey, you can't fight." Hey, didn't you kill my brother? <laughs> Come here, go away. You're not Alexis. Come Sale. here, go away. No, that was long before Alexis. Did that. <laughs> They're like, "You can't fight," but we're fighting. No, but that's not right. And no, I just kissed this girl with incredible hair. But, um, and then he he appears before the the uh the beings that are organizing all this who are yeah. like glowing. They're, throbbing. Well, their brains in a jar. Their brains are basically in a jar. Yeah. And Kirk does, but I can't fight because it's not right. I've got something on my head. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, you do have something on your head. You're right. We were totally wrong. Thank you for pointing that out, and we're going to release you all. That's what I've been saying. That's weird. All along. They've got the neck thing. The neck, the the that gives them pain. It gives it, yeah. The yeah. The, the necklace, the, the necklace. the collar, I guess you'd say. But that is one of the best fight scenes, yeah. uh, no doubt. Kirk uh, William Shatner was a very physical actor. Yeah. He could do all these amazing, um, very physical things, yeah. and you know, led credence to the fact that he was a action hero. A yeah. Well, he's got a his trainer. Is this beautiful? Well, she's got a butterface. She's a got what a, now? A butterface. I'm not sure what I, that. I, I everything's know. great, butterface. Because she's got <laughs> what? a she's got a terrific body, and they of course they've got like you name the uh, costume designer who puts Bill, them all Bill in, these, in yeah. these crazy. William uh, She's wearing a gold lame bikini, and then just little things that come around and cover her breasts. I, I wear that on weekends. <laughs> and uh, that's his thrall, I and mean, like he's trying to teach her the ways of love. Yes. Kirk will and he points to up to the sky and he says, "That's Earth, and oh, that's right. where I'm from." Yeah. And we travel among the stars. Yeah. And she's and as soon yeah, as they start taken. getting into it, it's like ee, the, ee. the necklace starts, you know, yeah. giving them pain. But yeah. one thing about that episode, Gamesters of Triskillian, is uh, it's Kirk, uh, Uhura, and 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 uh, Chekhov, Chekhov that are brought down. Yeah, and they, ha- they each have a trainer. And Uhuras is this big bulk of a guy, and they're all in the cells. They're they're in yeah. their pr- they're in their cells, trapped. And the guy goes over. First of all, that hot chick goes to Kirk, and she's like, you know, let's let's get it on. Like, isn't that this is part of the? No, this is part of the treatment. Is you know, no. let's like, let's let's have she's sex. She's resistant to that. I don't know what you're talking Are about. You sure? Yeah, because the guy goes to Uhura, and then. Chekhov and Kirk are in their own cells, and all of a sudden, Ahura is starting. There's impl- a very strongly implied rape scene where he rape. has his way with Ahura. You no, can hear he does- her screaming. I, I, I found it pretty unsettling when I watched it as a kid. Yeah, yeah. I think there's an implication of uh, attempt but uh, of assault, but I think she uh, she forces him away. But right. Not sure. Right. I don't know. I found it very disquieting yeah. when I was watching it. And Chekhov, Chekhov's thrall is yeah, a... Uh, it's kind of overweight. Uh, well, yeah. she's She's tubby. got, like, thick eyebrows, and she's yeah. obviously meant not to be very attractive, and, and Chekhov is very, like... Let me out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Chuck a bit like Chad, actually. 
All right. A bit. All right. I can hear the wind sighing through the trees. The fire we're sitting around has gone out. So I think I'm going to wrap it up. The bottle of rye is, I think, empty. Almost empty. Pretty much. But uh, I want to thank uh, my two compatriots here for joining me. And Well, one, the other guy slept through it all. Mostly I was here. Talking I listened. You guys uh, were smart. Allegedly. You, allegedly. You guys are so smart. Star Trek original series. How could I contribute to that? And uh, I want to thank uh, all you Trekkers out there for listening. And uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us through uh, Twitter. It's NerdStockingPod. NerdStocking will get you there, though. Yeah. And you can go to our website. It's NerdStocking.com. And uh, our email is nerds at nerdstocking.com. We got a real empire. And we really, you know, you too, if you, if you participate and you ask us questions, talk about the things you want. Yeah, yeah just, you know, if, if you uh, let us know how we're doing, if you give us some feedback, then it really helps us in uh, giving us gumption to keep continuing with this content. So if you enjoy it, please get in touch with us. And, and, and be sure to like us. Yeah. Like and us everywhere us. on on Facebook, yeah. follow us on, like yeah. to help. Follow to us on Podomatic as, as much as you fucking can. We follow need us. we need to get those advertising dollars. Sure. We need Pringles to. I was going to say the shit out of us. Yeah. yeah, Pringles, the only potato chip that's not made of potatoes. <laughs> Hasn't even seen a potato. Pringles, it I goes right through you. <laughs> <laughs> and good night. <laughs>